Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back everyone to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 62 and is again another very special episode. Last episode we celebrated the top films of 2019. Uh, this episode we're going to be looking back at the entire decade and celebrating the top films of the 2010s. Uh, we are recording this. This is January 26th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, we're going to get into our movies here in a second. However, the biggest news of the day that's kind of been, kind of rattled all of us a little bit, uh, has been uh, the tragic uh, death of Kobe Bryant today. All right, Zach, I'm going to uh, send it to you first. Uh, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the events of today? I mean, life is so strange, you know, like I've been looking forward to this podcast probably for the last two or three years. I've been thinking about what I would say today with my top 10 movies of the decade. I've been thinking about the, tw the 2010s. I've been processing it in my brain, maybe more so than uh, I should admit, because this podcast seems so significant after today. Um, I would have never guessed that this podcast we'd be talking about the death of Kobe Bryant. It's so surreal uh, processing it. Um, I'm just going to already review. I can't drink today. I, 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 it does not feel like a day full of alcohol. It feels like uh, a day where uh, we, we think about our lives and uh, uh, what kind of an impact Kobe Bryant made on, on the world, on the sport. Um, I was never a huge Kobe fan, but uh, man, the guy was such a competitor. You know, growing up as a Blazers fan, I could never get the 2000 Western Conference Finals out of my head, but um, I think he was such a leader and such a role model on and off the court. Uh, and the way that he died on ESPN, they were talking about, you know, is, is, there a, is, there any, is there any good comparison to how sudden and tragic this death is? Maybe Roberto Clemente, maybe uh, Dale Earnhardt were the two names they brought up. But uh, this is a tough one, and uh, people are going to be talking about it for a long time. Yeah, the, the one I, I immediately thought of was uh, Roberto Clemente, where it was, you know, the winding down of a career, the starting yeah. of something new. And uh, and so much in front of you, uh, Todd. You're probably the biggest basketball fan of the three of us. Uh, so uh, so, what are you thinking? Well, with those guys, like they were still playing, and like and, I mean, same way with like a Len Bias or like a Brooke Berenger or something like that. But like the one that I was thinking of made might have been like Steve McNair, but he was nowhere near the icon that Kobe is. Like he was a legend. Mm -hmm. He's the reason why everyone loves basketball. Like. Like, guys like him and Kevin Garnett and Vince Carter were the reason why I think basketball is the greatest game ever invented, you know. And Hoosiers, of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a weird day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was thinking about this, and the fact that Kobe came along when he did, you know, Michael Jordan, arguably the best basketball player of all time, you know, coming along, and right at the end of his career... For like the last year or two, there was this little overlap between him and Kobe. And the immediate predecessor never, never lives up to the expectations of potentially being the next great thing. Kobe did. I mean, everything Kobe, everything Kobe was about, the way he played the game, um, he was. He, he was as good, maybe even better. And... 
and uh, then to to see his his career wind down, and then he finished he tops off his career with with uh, an Oscar win. I mean, he just it just showed where his life was heading and all the great things that he had in front of him, and it's just. It's just a bummer. I mean, it, it's it's such a tragedy. And then to hear hear the reports that you know he was going to a basketball game and his daughter was on board. I mean, I I I, I teach thirteen year olds, and so I mean that just that just wrecked me. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's such a sad such a sad thing. And and yeah, it really makes you think how how insignificant some of the stuff we do is. I mean, like you said, Zach, we were we were looking forward to uh, to this podcast and and recapping the the decade, and now we're realizing just how insignificant it is, and we're still going to do it because because we still um, want to have have fun in that way. But um, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, in that sense, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, of the day the the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, and we were trying mm-hmm. to celebrate in the middle of finding out Philip Seymour Hoffman had just died. Uh, well, to it, me, it'd be, it's more like it's more like Robin Williams, like find out about that, or find out about Chester Bennington, or something like someone that's so like uniformal in like how I developed as a person. Like I've had them mm. around my whole life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, like it was like when Roger Ebert died. But you know, like the the thing with Ebert and Robin Williams, I mean, those guys were pretty old by that point. Robin Williams had a, a brain disorder. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman was shocking, but again, it was you know a, a drug overdose. Like this was some a, a totally tragic, random accident that was out of uh, Kobe's control. Um, and you know, uh, it's it's amazing to think about the trajectory of his career when you think about Shaq, when you think about his eighty-one point game, which, as I texted Todd, I literally was just watching highlights of that like two days ago. And there's a, if you're ever interested, is you know the, I don't know if you've seen that great clip of. Uh, who is it? Jalen uh, Jalen Rose talking about trying to defend Kobe on the eighty-one point game, and he says Kobe said nothing. You know, not a word. I mean, it's a, it's a great clip. And then you know the 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 struggles with Shaq, the the rape allegations, and then ultimately uh, you know winning uh, the two finals toward the end of his career with with Ron Artest. Um, I mean, it's an amazing career that was so up and down and. Uh, you know, I, I I texted both of you. I couldn't believe he was only forty one. It felt like he, he he must have been much older because he's been around for so long. But then you remember that he was seventeen when he was drafted, one of the last uh, you know straight to the NBA uh, draft picks. So uh, just ushering in a different era, you know, from a different era. You could almost say What's that his like? success is what caused the boom in high school athletes making the jump. Like that mm-hmm. year, it was like him and Jermaine O'Neal, and then after that, you had like a dozen every draft. Go ahead, Todd. Well, yeah, I, I was just saying, like, that's what I was saying, like, the reason why you, you feel like he's so he's so much older is because Vince Carter was drafted after him, and he's, like, 45 and still playing. You know, it's like, that's why, like, th- that group of people, and, like, we just saw Kevin Garnett in my number one movie of 2019. It's like, like, those guys were, like, that era of, like, people coming into the league, and that's what made me love basketball, and Kobe was always there. He's always been part of basketball to me. But Kobe transcended even those athletes because... You know, you couldn't mention Allen Iverson or Vince Carter or Stephon Marbury. You couldn't mention them to your mother, right? But your mom knew who Kobe was. I mean, even if you didn't follow sports, you knew the name Kobe Bryant. And that, and that's, that's the thing because of the name. That's something to do with it. Too. Well, I think that's the thing that that sets us apart too. Is you have, uh, you have, uh, we we always can over um, 
over-sensationalize how important um, and overemphasize how important athletes and actors and everything are and and always talk about the tragedy it is when they're lost. But this one's different because, I mean, you could say, like, worldwide, top five people that anybody in the world would know. Kobe's on that list. I mean, this is a worldwide icon. There are people in the middle of third world countries that dream to be Kobe Bryant. I mean, th- this it, make, it makes it different. It, he's one of the, those rare just icon images that that just sticks and i love i i was watching a lot of the a lot of what was going on and there were still nba games played today and i loved seeing um the tributes to him and i didn't even realize this until they did it that um he he wore two numbers in his career he wore eight and he wore 24 and they were uh which happened to be the two numbers that they could get a violation for to start the game so you had teams that were starting the game off either with an eight-second backcourt violation in his honor or a 24-second shot clock violation in his honor just just to, to show that they're playing this one for him. I thought that that was so such a an interesting thing about how, you know, without even realizing it, his his imprint is on the game just in those the recognition of those numbers. Should have won MVP in 06. Screw Steve Nash. <laughs> that season was all about Kobe. Uh, well, and, and I mean, we're 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 on this podcast celebrating the decade that was, and uh, I've got around the, my office that I'm recording in. I have the um, the championship banners of the big three sports since I since I started teaching, which was uh, the fall of 2008. And so, two of the banners up here are how he started the decade, and that was his back to back championships in 09 and 2010 with the Lakers. And so, I've got those two up in my room right now, and so. You start the decade off with that, and as, as soon as the decade closes out, we we have to talk about this, and it's just it, it's it's a sad, tragic day. Um, but um, but yeah, any any last thoughts before we move on, guys? I was just gonna say I feel like um, the the sort of consensus greatest Kobe moment for a long time, even prior to today, was the eighty-one point game. But in recent years. I think the most identifiable, iconic moment was his last game. And mm-hmm. I think this kind of cements that his last game is the most significant, iconic, uh, revered moment of his career. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what they showed all day today. They really didn't show much of the 81-point game. It, it was the 60-point game. The 60-point final game. Yeah. Um, I saw a clip. Um, so Tiger Woods was on the golf course Um just outside of San Diego when, when all this happened. And he had people shouting out to him while he was on the golf course, you know, you know, uh, hit, play this one for Mamba. And he had, and he didn't know what was going on. He, he wasn't told what happened until he was walking off the 18th green by his caddy. And so he was interviewed like five minutes after it happened. And his iconic moment that he mentioned, which I think perfectly personifies who Kobe was, was uh, the game he uh, ruptured his Achilles um, where he had to make his two free throws before he left the court. I, if, if you want to know what kind of what kind of a player and what kind of a person he was and how much of a competitor he was and he was going to do his job no matter what, you, you rupture your Achilles, you can barely move your foot, yet you're going to stand there and you're going to make two free throws before you leave the game. That's, that, that's, that's what he was all about. And I was never a big Kobe fan, but it was because I, I'm never a fan of someone who is who wins everything and he was just the best 
And, and it was one of those, I was always, I always had the greatest respect for him. Um, I never rooted for him, but I always had the greatest respect for him. And, uh, and yeah, it, it definitely is a tragic day. Todd, yeah, I also it, find it yeah. odd that the, uh, the Grammys are going on right now at Staples. Right, and you've got on one side of the of the arena, you've got everybody entering on the red carpet, and on the other side, you have a tribute going on to Kobe. It's it's just, like you said, Zach, it's just an odd day today. It really is, but um, but we're gonna press on, and uh, and continue on with this with this silly little podcast, and uh, and uh, talk about talk about movies, talk about film, but knowing that that's uh, it's hard not to think about that on a day like today. Well put. All right. Well, Zach, you already uh, uh, revealed what you are drinking today, and uh, and I don't blame you for doing so. Uh, Todd, what do you got? Uh, I went with a vodka martini. Not really sure why, but it just seemed seemed appropriate. Easy. It seemed easy to drink. Seemed yeah. easy. Yeah. I, I mean, I I had to. I, I felt like I, I had to drink one, you know, in honor of. <laughs> and so uh so last night i was telling i was telling todd and zach this before we uh we started recording um this is about as portland and northwest as you get uh you've in in the northwest there are a a chain of restaurants called mcminimins and they were celebrating their 34th birthday yesterday and uh they had a special uh a, a special birthday menu which include a ten dollar growler fill up of their hammerhead ale so i got a nice brand new mcminimins growler uh with uh with uh 64 glorious ounces of hammerhead ale now i'm not drinking all of it tonight but uh it, it everything tastes better when it's on tap and so this is the first time First time on the podcast, I'm drinking something fresh off tap, so I'm I'm excited for that. Good God, Terry, that was the most Portland thing I've ever. It heard is. In it my is. Life. <laughs> I... <laughs> the only way it could have been better is if it was somehow like, uh, you know, uh, gluten free or something. Yeah. Yeah. Non HMO. A, a, I'm drinking yes, a McMinimins home brewed <clears throat> Hammerhead Ale. I mean that that's yeah. You don't get much more Portland than that. All right. Well, let's get into uh, to looking at our 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 t- our best and worst of the 2010s. It's so bizarre to think that we're 20 years into this century. I mean, that that's just bizarre to think about. I saw. I was thinking about it the other day. So, um, in April, Zach, you'd be interested in this. In April, they're coming out with. Uh, for like a week apollo 13 is going to be on the big screen to celebrate its 25th anniversary and it may and i was thinking we are 25 years removed from the movie which was celebrating the 25th anniversary of it happening i mean just just ponder that like we are as far removed from the 90s as the 90s were from the moon landing crazy that's that's just ridiculous but anyways we're old. Yeah. Uh, we are. We, we are old. But, uh, yeah, so we're celebrating the 2010s. Um, th- this is, let's see here. I have a couple, uh, a few things that I found about the 2010s. I'm going to give a couple of them here, and I'll give a couple kind of scattered throughout. Uh, I found a list here that was uh, things you completely forgot happened in the in the 2010s. Uh, things like uh, like the Harlem Shake 
that that was that was the 2010s. That was something that happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this was this was the 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 decade where where Banksy auctioned off uh, a, a piece of art and then promptly destroyed it as soon as it was sold. That that was that was this decade. Yeah, that that actually happened. Uh, let's see here. This was uh, this was the decade of uh, of Rebecca Black's hit song Friday Friday. Got to get down on Friday. Yeah, that that happened this decade. Um, uh, this was also the decade where 115 million dollars were raised by people dumping ice water over their heads. Um, I, the the ice yeah. bucket including challenge. Including you. Include. I did it. I did it. Todd, did you do yeah. that? You did it. Yeah. Yep. Zach, did you do that? No way. No. Yeah. Um, no. This was the decade that the iPad was released. Like the iPad was released in 2010. I mean, it, it, it just crazy to think about all the different things that happened this decade, uh, or this last decade. Uh, you saw the the Great American Eclipse that kind of went across the entire nation. Uh, we got about a, a ninety-nine bomb here in Lawrence. Yeah, we got about a ninety-nine percent eclipse here, which is when I realized it really doesn't matter unless you're in the the path of totality because. It, See, we were in the path of totality, but it was a cloudy day. Oh. The one freaking cloudy day in, in Kansas, the Sunflower State. Go figure. It, it was a beautiful day here. And I'm like, oh, we're close enough. It'll be fine. I would have had to go like Salem to be in the path of totality. And uh, and then I was like, well, that was kind of anticlimactic. Next time I'll go to the path of totality, you know, in like 50 years or whenever it's back. Um, this was the decade of the fidget spinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. This was the decade of Pokemon Go. Uh, this was the decade of planking. And it was the decade when, uh, when Leo finally won an Oscar. So, uh, I'll have a few other things as we, uh, as we go throughout this, but, uh, this is going to be a fun, a fun it's look back at the right last there. 10 years. Yeah. Just gives you some perspective of what, what we're actually talking about, what actually happened during this decade. I mean, it's kind of weird to think that it's been a decade since 2010, but it has, so we're going to start off by looking at um, at the worst of the decade, and then we'll go to the very best of the decade. So we're going to do our uh, our bottom ten, or no, bottom five, bottom five of the decade, five. and then we'll do our top ten of the decade, and then uh, reveal our our top ten um, almost sideways of of the decade. Uh, just a note. Uh, Adam Daly uh, is the fourth member of, uh, of Almost Sideways. He wanted to be here for this recording, but he couldn't. He sent his list on ahead, and we're going to be revealing that as we go along. So, bottom five of the decade. Uh, let's see here. Zach, you're going to go first. Okay. Number five is uh, Pan from 2015, a film that I actually just texted Todd about the other day, um, and I actually rewatched part of it the other day. It's truly awful. Joe Wright, wow. I mean, when you think Peter Pan, you don't think like miners in uh, the desert with a flying ship and Captain Hook and Peter on the same team, and then Blackbeard, played by Hugh Jackman, coming out and singing Nirvana. Uh, it, <laughs> if, if that at all sounds interesting, then check out Pan. It's, it's definitely one of those like you have to see it to believe how bad it is. What do you think of uh, of Ben Zeitlin's take on uh, on Peter Pan coming out soon? I don't know anything about. It's called it's called Wendy, it. and it kind of has like if uh, I mean it's Ben Zeitlin, so it's like if Peter Pan was told in the style of Beasts of the Southern Wild. It, it's it looks like it could be interesting. 
Well, anything is better than Pan. I mean, I didn't even mention the worst thing about Pan, which is, you know, Rooney Mara playing Tiger Lily. I mean, ugh, it's just, uh, it's, you cannot script uh, a recipe for a movie that bad. It's, it's a remarkable uh, unity of forces. Anyway, uh, number four worst movie of the decade, Larry Crown uh, with uh, Tom Hanks and uh, uh, Julia Roberts, who are the most likable stars. I hated that movie. I want nothing to do with it ever again. It was like uh, putting needles in my eyes, to quote Jack Nicholson from Terms of Endearment. Number three, movie 43. I don't know why I saw it. Uh, seeing he, oh here Jackman again on my list uh, but this time with testicles coming out of his neck yep if, if that sounds fun to you then then maybe movie 43 is your kind of movie number two is a movie we've mentioned on this podcast alone yet not alone uh, I'm wondering if that makes either of your lists I guess we'll have to see if you want to listen to our take on that film you know go back a year and listen to our episode and then the number one worst movie of the year, which I, or uh, the decade, excuse me, which really makes a strong case for the worst movie I've ever seen, is also a movie we've talked about on this podcast, made by the eminently talented filmmaker Alexander Payne, and that film is Downsizing. Oh, truly. Ouch. Truly. <laughs> maybe the worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, after uh, the end credits started rolling, I, uh, la- I, I erupted into laughter. I could not maintain it anymore. <laughs> How truly awful that movie was. Wow. Wow. Nice. I like it. I like it. All right, I'm going to go next. Uh, so I was looking at... So I have a, I have kind of a rating system that I go through with all my movies that I rate my movies out of 100. And so I was just looking at my lowest scores, but then I had to reevaluate because some of them are like, okay, yes, this movie was really bad, but for whatever reason, I would still watch it over and over and over again because it's just one of those enjoyable yet horrible movies that you that are fun to just watch so so films like like mike and dave need wedding dates that's a horrible movie but i would watch it again so i'm not including stuff like that on my list or or like fist fight with charlie day and ice cube it's a horrible movie but it it's it's something you'd throw in and and watch and and just have the big sean talents show scene is pretty funny in that movie yeah yeah um, so Wait, throw in like you actually own those movies? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. Oh, I, I found them randomly away. streaming at one point and, and watched them while I was doing other things just to say I watched them. Anyways, so uh, my my bottom five number five is uh, uh, really I mean of all the movies I had to put this one on because it's something that actually had high aspirations which a lot of people actually liked which I still don't understand. And number five is the post. Um, in my Whoa. bottom five movies, I I didn't realize just how bad I how badly I hated that movie and just how yeah it was not well done at all. Uh, number four, uh, Todd's gonna love. Number four is Holy Motors. Thank you for letting there. me watch that so it could make nice. my list, Todd. Uh, number three is uh, it's always good when you have a comic book at at a or not not a com- a comic strip adaptation and that's what we have in Marmaduke the movie. Um, that's number three on my uh, list. I, f- I forgot forgot that existed. Yeah, it, it, I, I wish I did too. And uh, number two on my list was my worst film of 2019 that we just talked about in the last podcast. That is Polar uh, with uh, Mods Mikkelsen. And number one, Zach's already said it, Alone Yet Not Alone. I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. <laughs> I, th- I, I stand by my, I stand by my original, uh, uh, review which said it felt like a movie that was a made for museum movie that was being played at the museum about this time period 
That that's what it feels like. Just the the absolute corniness. It feels like a movie made to be shown in a mid '90s classroom, um, or to be shown at the Donald Trump Presidential Library when it opens. <laughs> that would make a great one. Good choice. I'm so glad we watched Come to the Stable so we could watch that movie. I know, I know. We've got to do another Come to the Stable deep dive here soon and uh, and pull yeah. out another random random Oscar nominee, or in this case, almost Oscar nominee. And, uh, yeah. All right, uh, Todd, give me your bottom five. Well, so in the decade, I saw 1,754 movies. And so this is, like, the ultimate <laughs> lowest of lows. I'll give Alone Yet Not Alone an honorable mention, but these are significantly worse movies than that. Hold <laughs> like, on, before you I go any further, how many did you say? 1,754. Yeah, total in my lifetime, I've seen 1,714 movies, so... Oh, well, there you go. It's like, so what's that's one movie every two days. I don't know. That, if you do the that's math. That's some quick math. My, th- my thumbs up percentage is 51.1, so it's like right around 50% of whether it was a good movie or not, which I actually kind of, that's optimistic, I feel like. <laughs> that That is but, a lot higher than I thought yours would be, I, I have yeah, to admit. Yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I got I was discerning more later in the decade or something. I don't know. Either way, so my number five worst movie of the decade is the Dustin Lance Black directorial debut, Virginia, which I don't really wow. necessarily remember anything about, but I remember like hardly being able to finish it. But it did give us Paul Walter Hauser, but that is about the only redeeming quality of that movie. Number four, I have The Hangover Part Three. I hated all three <laughs> of them, but this that was by far the worst and like i i don't even know why that movie exists other than you know why did you watch it you didn't even like the original hangover i don't know what were you thinking i have no idea i i don't know why i actually i i didn't even like i mean the second one i actually liked more than the first one so i was hoping it was going to be a little bit better but no it was it was way worse my number three was the worst experience i've ever had watching a movie in the theater that was green lantern i i i don't even know if there's Mm. words that actually can describe how bad that that was watching that on the big screen number two i have valentine's day mainly because like that really made like a bad trend of like awful movies with amazing casts including movie 43 and uh, a whole lot of it these other like holiday themed ones and my number one worst movie of the decade which with with a bullet is batman versus superman dawn of justice because, oh, like, wow. not only was it really that bad, but, like, the more I thought about it, the more it just got buried and buried worse and worse. And I've never had a movie go from being, like, a maybe, like, a one-and-a-half-star movie to being, like, the worst movie of the decade without having to watch it again. That movie is so awful, and I don't ever want to see it again. That's impressive. That is that is an impressive just, like, All right, so that's the worst of the decade. Uh, before we move on, I got so distracted with everything else we were doing. Uh, Todd, you and I were going to do some uh, some quick uh, quick reviews of some of the stuff we've been seeing recently. So, so we've been doing all these all these uh, top lists of the year and of the decade. We haven't uh, reported on many films that we've uh, we've recently watched. So uh, so let's do uh, some uh, some quick uh, some quick movie reviews. Zach, have, do you have anything you want to report on? Or are you good? Yeah, yeah. There was I, I wanted to. Report okay, go something. for it, Zach. Oh, okay, I was just gonna say um, I, I watched this a couple weeks ago, but uh, the uh, miniseries, the Netflix miniseries, unbelievable, 
it, starring Caitlin Deaver and Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver is a really good series. I'd highly recommend it. It was nominated for several Golden Globes. I don't think it won a whole lot of Golden Globes, but it's a really good series. Uh, Susanna Grant is connected to it. Uh, and um, it's about the uh, rape of a young woman played by Caitlin Deaver and uh, sort of the the, tr the uh, investigation that ensues. And it's really powerful stuff. Um, if it had been a movie, I'm glad this, it's a good be beacon for long form narratives. It, if, if it had been a film, it would have been in my top 10 of the year. It's, it's really good. Nice, nice. Yeah, see, I, I watched that too. That, yeah, it was really good. Uh, Caitlin Deaver is like a more talented Ellen Page. Like she's yeah. gonna be a great one. Yeah, agreed. Right. It's, it's 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 really impressive. Okay, good. So uh, I have uh, I have two movies I want to report on. I I got in in my uh, my double feature at the theater on uh, on Friday night. Thank you, Regal Unlimited, and uh, and so I I watched two movies that actually turned out to be two really good movies. Uh, the first one was Just Mercy. Uh, with uh, Michael B. Jordan and uh, and Jamie Fox uh, about the true story of uh, of a lawyer that uh, works to help um, uh, people on death row in Alabama and uh, give them legal counsel. Sometimes the first uh, uh, competent legal counsel they've ever received. Uh, amazing movie, amazing movie. Uh, Jamie Fox was uh, looking at possibly getting an Oscar nomination for this, and it would have been his first since. Uh, since his double nomination and win in 2004, and it totally would have been uh, justified if he had gotten it. He, he is amazing in this. Michael B. Jordan's amazing as well. Uh, three and a half star movie. Uh, it, it's in my honorable mention for my top ten. Um, really, really solid movie. If you haven't seen it yet, it's still in theaters for a little longer, so go check it out. Um, and then the other one, so I went straight from that. Like It was really quick turnaround. Had to leave the credits of Just Mercy... And uh, and go get my uh, my 2020 bubble popped for probably about the earliest I've ever I've ever you know watched my first movie of the year and I wa went and watched The Gentleman, which is about as polar opposite from Just Mercy as you could possibly get, but it was equally awesome. Um, Guy Ritchie's new film, Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, uh, Hugh Grant, Colin Farrell, um, Henry Golding. It it is so much fun. It's fun kind of in a similar way to like how Knives Out is fun in that it's just pure entertainment. Um, it doesn't quite have have the uh, the payoff and the the quick wit that that um, that Knives Out has, but it is still totally worth it. So much fun, completely entertaining, three and a half stars. Um, and uh, yeah, go check out the gentleman if you haven't seen it. All right, well, I was also going to talk about Just Mercy because I saw that too. There, there have been a lot of movies like that lately. I like Brian Banks more. It, to me, it reminded me exactly of uh, Conviction, that movie with like Sam Rockwell and Hilary mm. Swank, and I gave that two and a half stars, so that's what I gave this. It's pretty pretty much the same movie. But Ooh. I guess instead, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk about this movie I watched uh, streaming. It was called Harpoon. Which I texted Adam. I said, it's just the most Adam movie I've ever seen. It's just, like, horror comedy about these friends who were stranded on a, on a yacht in the middle of the ocean. And they end up, like, throwing out all their supplies. And it's, like, a psychological horror thing. And But it's also, like, really funny and really strange. And, like, I, I, everything I was just like, Adam's going to love this movie. It probably will be his, like, top five of the year of 2019 when he watches it. But he hasn't seen it yet. 
but yeah, it's a three star movie. It's good. It's like it's like when uh, he had Revenge as his number one of the year. Like this is that. This is the equivalent of that. <laughs> so it's better than Just Mercy, huh? Yeah, it's better than Just oh, Mercy. Gosh, dude. Well, Michael B. Jordan, by the way, will be our Kobe in a movie if they ever make it. Yeah, yeah, probably. I can see it. I can see it. All right. So, we looked at the worst of the decade. We looked at what we've been looking at recently. Uh, let's get into our top ten. But before we do, let's remind ourselves what decade we're talking about here. This is the decade uh, where Anna Kendrick ex- inspired everyone to play with cups with her cup song from Pitch Perfect. Uh, you had, uh, this was the decade we all asked the question, what does the fox say? Um, th- this is the decade, uh, let's see here, where uh, millions of people believed that the Mayans had some divine prophecy of when the world was going to end because they ran out of space on their calendar. Um, this is the decade of Linsanity, guys. That happened this decade. Was that like 2011? 2011, you got it, Todd, yeah. Uh, This is the decade, this decade started the selfie. Can you imagine? That was this decade. I think Cher Horowitz started the selfie in Clueless, but that's okay. Well, That joke probably went over both your heads because you're not (laughs) Clueless fans like I am, but that's okay. Oh, let's see here. Um, What else in here is worth saying? Uh, this uh, in 2016, everyone was scared their phone might catch fire. Do you remember that? That was a thing. Uh, let's see here. This decade in 2010, Dubai unveiled the tallest skyscraper in the world. Oh, this decade. Do you remember? Do you remember the uh, the the dress controversy on Facebook? Was it black or black and blue, or was it white and gold? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Totally was white and gold. By the way, that's what I say. It was always blue. Yeah. The, the, this decade saw the start of Farmville and the end of Blockbuster. Did, did we did we have a good trade-off there? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad that places like Blockbuster and Hollywood Video are gone. However, there's one. There's one Blockbuster left in, in the world, I believe, and it is in Bend, Oregon. Bend. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, with that, let's get started on uh, on our top ten. Zach, now you you already eliminated some of the suspense on uh, of this if if you follow Zach on Facebook. However, well, you have to be my friend. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a lot of. You friends. do not have a lot of I'm friends. I'm friendless. I'm like Mark Zuckerberg. I, I mean, don't have a lot of friends. I mean, we we barely count as friends. So that's true. <laughs> um, I also want to say, Terry, that you forgot one of the most amazing things about the 2010s, which is that Adam McKay. Todd Phillips and Peter Farley directed Oscar-winning films this decade, and Tom Hooper has an Oscar, and David Fincher does not. Yes, Tom yes. Hooper, the director of Cats. The director of Cats. The director of has Cats an has an Oscar. The director has a directing Oscar. The director of Hangover Part Three uh, has a has an Oscar nomination. Multiple Oscar nominations. Multiple Oscar nominations. Three, three nominations. Yep. Yeah. Old School. The director of Old School. Yes, yes. Uh, that, Eleven Oscar that, that seems a little more redeemable than uh, than Hangover Part Part Three. The star of Hangover Part Three is uh, multiple. What what is he well, now? Like eight well, he time Oscar won nominee? An Oscar. I think he's eight time Oscar nominee now. 
Bradley Cooper? That's ridiculous. Yeah. All right, Zach, All right. number 10. Uh, also, before I get going, yeah. uh, I know Grayson Leach also asked this question. Um, okay, so when you guys were doing your lists, I'm intrigued by this question. Did you like, and I'm, I'm sure it will bear out in the answer, but did you like look at your top 10 list for each year and kind of go off that? Or were there times when you were like, ah, screw it. I didn't put this movie on my top of 2014, but I love it anyway. Like, what? What? how did you do this? Uh, a little bit it's of... Sort of a hybrid. Yeah, kind of, yeah. So what I did, I, I looked at my ratings... Um, and since I have like the number rating of each one, I looked at my highest number ratings and then inside that I, I, I rearranged kind of based on what I, what I was thinking now as opposed to where I was. Yeah. I took all my four star movies and then I put them in a spreadsheet in alphabetical order and then, and then organized them in my top 10. So it's really not in any order compared to my top 10 list of the years. That's way more effort than I put into my list, Todd. I, I know. I know some uh, people expected I, that. I know some people <laughs> with this exercise went and did like their top ten of the decade are uh, a ranked version of their top film of each year. Yeah, but some yeah. years are bad, and some <laughs> years are really, really good. Like twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen was actually amazing. Twenty nineteen was, was a really good year. <laughs> 2018, 2016 were not good years, and so. Oh, I I disagree. I, I think my my list will bear out my disagreement. Uh, anyway, so we'll, 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 over under yeah. on a on a overlaps is probably not going to be very many. I think the over under on starring actors or something would be a more interesting Ooh. Uh, thing to go for. Well, I, ha- a, I I have to recuse myself because I already know all of your lists. So, uh, okay, so your pick for like the most represented actor is that kind of what you're saying? Because I have yeah, one kinda. that sticks out right away. I'm not. I'm not even sure I have an overlap of actors at all. <clears throat> I was gonna say Adam Driver. Actually, I have one overlap. Or Ryan Gosling, maybe. I have one overlap on mine. Well, I. So yeah, I mean, if we're talking Adam's list too and Terry's list, I. I don't know. I think there's a chance that Matt Damon could be on a couple, at least. It's already made an appearance on my list. <laughs> As your worst yeah. film of the decade. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. Okay. Zach, number ten. Okay. Number ten is my number one documentary of the decade. It was my number two film last year, and that film is Free Solo. So screw Todd for thinking 2018 wasn't great. 2018 had a bunch of great movies. Um, this also won the best documentary Oscar at the Oscars last year. Uh, it's the story of Alex Honnold, who is a climber, a somewhat um, maniacal psychopathic climber because he doesn't really use any gear. And it's about his journey uh, to climb, be the first ever solo climber of El Capitan, to, uh, someone to do it f- uh, free soloing. Um, it's a movie, I don't really have any interest in rock climbing or mountain climbing, but this movie captivated me as uh, someone who is obsessed with his art, I guess he, you would call it. It's also a really fascinating movie about relationships. There's a lot in this movie about his relationship with his girlfriend. Um, if you follow him on Instagram, I think they just got engaged like a couple months ago. It's kind of funny, but it doesn't seem like their their relationship is that stable because when one person is that devoted to something other than the relationships, things are bound to crumble. And uh, it's also about the art of making movies too. You know, the, the filmmakers have this kind of Schrodinger's cat quandary with them because if you film him too close, then he becomes aware of being filmed and it becomes performance. And yeah, just a lot of great questions, philosophical questions in that movie about the, the practice of movie making and documentary ethics. Um, I think it's an awesome movie. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you, he's, he's kind of a jerk when you watch it, but 
you can't help but but feel for him and be riveted by what what he does. So, best documentary of the decade, number ten, Free Solo. I I, uh, I love that that documentary too. I was excited to see it win last year. However, it wasn't even the best documentary of last year. So whoa, wait, yeah. okay. we're, by last year we're talking about twenty eighteen, two yeah. years ago, twenty eighteen. Sorry. Yeah, no, best documentary of okay. 2018 was Won't You Be My Neighbor, which was uh, which was snubbed for the Oscar nomination. Much like Apollo 11 was snubbed this year. Anyways, all right, I'm going to go next. Number 10 on uh, on my best of the decade. This this was an impossible list to make. I mean, there I mean, the the favorites of the favorites. This is this is insane. Um, but like I said, I went through and uh, and got my highest rated and I actually went back and over the last like month or so, rewatched probably about half the movies on my uh, uh, that were going to be in my top ten, just to make sure I had the right the right organization, the right ranking for them all. So, uh, number ten on my list is also my top uh, documentary of the decade, uh, but it's not Free Solo. It's not Won't You Be My Neighbor. It is OJ Made in America. Uh, it's kind of cheating. Um, I watched it as a miniseries, but it was uh, it was released as a film. It won Best Documentary at the Oscars, and like single-handedly changed the rules for how documentaries could be featured at the Oscars. Uh, but just the scope and sequence of this uh, of this in, this event that they put out of not only looking at the the trial of OJ. And, and everything that led up to it and all the access they got to all the different people but also just how they how they were able to represent the culture of the time and everything else that was going on and the icon that OJ was and and just really wrap it all up I remember when I when I first talked about this Todd said you know just go watch the the people versus OJ Simpson which I have watched part of I haven't I didn't get through all of it um, but uh, but nothing I, I don't think anything could beat the the actual uh, the actual documentary and the actual footage and talking to the actual people it just absolutely breathtaking outstanding and riveting like eight hours of documentary footage which is awesome so uh, it was my number one of of that year it's uh, in my top 10 it is number 10 OJ made in America I thought there was an outside shot that was gonna be your number one really no no it's not my number yep. one no I it's one that I kind of feel bad having on there because I'm like it is kind of cheating, but I don't really care. It's so good. All right, Todd, number ten. All right, my number ten was my number one of 2017. That is Phantom Thread. If you're gonna say I was gonna have a PTA movie on my list, I'd be like, yeah, probably. But if it was gonna be like a 1950s fashion designer movie, I would have said what? <laughs> like Reynolds Woodcock is also the greatest name of the decade uh, of any character and he's also one of the most fascinating characters to watch. I think it's D Daniel Day-Lewis is probably most restrained performance of the century and Vicky Creeps should have won Best Actress. She was, she's amazing as his muse and lover. Like the movie is just like it's got this Hitchcockian vibe but it's also like this like steamy awkward romance and like the costumes and sets are amazing. It's a really subtle script and uh, it's one of the weirdest Paul Thomas Anderson movies and but it, it's also kind of perfect at the same time. I, it's one that I was looking forward to just because it was Paul Thomas Anderson, but it was way better and way more interesting than it actually ever had any right to be. And uh, somehow it made it on my top ten list. Yeah, Reynolds Woodcock does not sound like uh, the name of someone in, uh, 
in a drama. I mean, it sounds like it should. It was like the best friend of Dewey Cox. I mean, it. That that. But no, it's yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a great pick, Todd. It's it's my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie of the decade as well. And, you know, this was also the decade where Daniel Day-Lewis won a third Oscar, cemented his name as maybe the greatest actor of all time. I'm just going to say it here. I think his performance in Phantom Thread is his best performance ever. I mean, and, and, and obviously you could think of so many other movies, but he doesn't get the respect for the restrained performances. He is so awesome in this movie. Uh, really hard to imagine anyone else playing that role. And, uh, the kind of nuance he brings to it is just incredible. And he's, if, if it was really his last movie, that's sad. So probably, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Probably a movie I need to revisit. Um, when I first saw it, I, I, I thought overrated, but, uh, but yeah, I'll need to go. I'll need to go back. I overrated as in, I gave it three and a half stars. Not top ten of the decade, so. But you're not you're not a PTA nut though. Like that's true. I'm not. You you think Inherent Vice was like one of his best movies, and like that's probably like universally his worst movie. Right? I've never seen Inherent Vice. Um, wow. Maybe that was Zach. You know, oh, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. I like Inherent Vice too, but I'm glad. I, I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm assuming that The Master is not on your list. I was getting really tired of the t- best of 2010s list that had The Master on them because The Master is not that great. Well, as we've well, talked about on this podcast. Interesting. I really think I mean, we'll see. Tarantino is number one of the decade. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, as we go along through our lists, uh, I do have Adam's list that we're going to reveal along with ours. So, uh, so let's get to his. He gave a little disclaimer here. He said, we can all agree that this decade has been pretty amazing. This list could have been so much bigger. Um, he made a rule that he had to have at least one film from each year represented in his top 25. Um, but we're just revealing, revealing the top 10 now. So the top, the number 10 on his list is also from 2017, and that is Call Me By Your Name. Interesting. Yeah. I, that, that is like, like you were talking about what make, what an Adam movie looks like. This is like the anti-Adam movie, yet it's in his top ten. Well, but didn't you just say that, like, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire was was this year's Call Me By Your Name? Like, Yeah, yeah. And that was his, what, number two of 2019? So, I don't know. Maybe there's this, like, section of movies that we're, we're not even thinking uh, belong to Adam. Apparently. I think it's called I think it's called Growth. <laughs> uh, Alright. Uh, Zach, number nine. Good pick by Adam. That was on my top 25 list. Uh, okay, my number nine film is uh, uh, Damien Chazelle's best movie of the decade, which was not Whiplash or La La Land. It was First Man, movie we, re- we reviewed on this show. I think Todd texted me before I saw it when he, he said, you and Terry are going to like bullshit and give this four stars. And he, Todd was totally right about that. <laughs> it's an amazing movie. Totally criminally underrated, of course. Um, I love the way that the movie's shot. It looks like a home movie. It totally has that saturated home movie kind of from 1960s look. Uh, I, the, you know, honestly, watching it, you sort of forget about the moon landing because the character is just that captivating, and the development of, of space flight and NASA over the 1960s is almost. I, I almost just wanted to watch more of that than even get to the get to the moon landing. But the moon landing sequence is amazing. Somehow, Damien Chazelle makes it an incredibly emotional experience, which is awesome. People accuse Ryan Gosling of being cold in this movie. I, I don't know what movie they were watching, and the last scene, the last image with that. That uh, theremin on the soundtrack is 
freaking rad. Like, it is awesome. Great last image. Just uh, an awesome space movie. Worthy of, of comparisons with Apollo 13. And uh, a great performance by Ryan Gosling. So, I know, Terry, you're in agreement with me. I don't know if it made your top ten, but it should be there. It, it, it is a great movie. I did give it four stars. However, um, it was not a, as highly rated of a four star as others. It, it's in my top 90. Well, that's but it, but something. I gave I gave let's hear I gave ninety four star movies uh, in the decade. So you're saying it's the worst four star movie? It, it is. It, it it had my lowest the lowest rating it could get to to be a four star movie. We bought a zoo was a higher four star movie. <laughs> well, going back and revisiting, maybe not. But I don't even remember where We Bought a Zoo ended up. I, my probably ratings don't go down far enough to find First Man. I, I think it probably is in my top 700 or so of the decade. <laughs> Wait, you <laughs> ranked all 1,768 or whatever? No, I said I didn't, but I'm saying it oh, probably okay. is around there. I can't even find We Bought a Zoo. Was We Bought a Zoo I, the this majority, decade? Yeah, yeah, it was 2011. Oh, yeah, there it is. The, the majority of people agree with you, Todd. So yeah. there, there's that. We Bought a Zoo is probably way too high. So oh, well. Multiple first movies on Zach's list, or no, first and free. Never mind. I'm crazy. Just I, don't know, I was thinking first solo. Interesting. Well, pl- well played, Todd. Well played. <laughs> All right, uh, number nine on my list is uh, is my one and only 2019 movie, uh, and that is Parasite. Uh, this movie, um, it might go up my list. It might go down my list depending on uh, repeat viewings, but it's one that I couldn't repeat view quite yet. Um, it's coming out on uh, on Blu-ray DVD this week, I believe, so uh, so check that out. Um, but it's an amazing movie. I mean, we all had it like in our top three of last year. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those that, as we were talking about it, we've talked about it many times, you don't want to say too much about it, you just need to watch it. And, uh, and But Parasite is a, is a masterpiece. Um, and totally, uh, totally worth it. Uh, like I said, I put it number nine simply out of respect, but, uh, it, it, uh, needs to, uh, it, it needs a repeat viewing really to see if it can contend with everything else. And I want to make sure there wasn't too much recency bias there. So, uh, number nine, Parasite. Nice. Good choice. All right, Todd. All right, my number nine, I guarantee it's I'm going to be the only one that has it because I don't know if you all have seen it, and that is Animal Kingdom, the 2010 movie by David Michaud. It's this, like, dark, gritty Australian crime drama. It's about the, uh, a family of criminals uh, led by the matriarch, uh, played by Oscar nominee Jackie Weaver. It was also adapted into probably the most underrated TV show on right now that stars Alan Barkin in that role. It's, the the movie is awesome and it has like a handful of just amazing performances by guys like Ben Mendelsohn, Guy Pearce, and Joel Edgerton. It's uh, and and the kid that plays uh, the main character, he he like witnesses his mother overdosing in like the opening scene, and so he's sent to like live with his uncles and like learn the family business. It's a really cool, like, but also really disturbing, uh crime drama, almost mobbish kind of thing, as much as Australia can give you, and, uh, Mashad is a really good director, but this is him in his absolute element. He's made some, like, kind of not-so-good movies since then, but, uh, this one has stood the test of time, and is one of my favorite movies of the decade. I have not seen that movie, but I plan on watching it this year. I haven't, I haven't said this on the podcast yet, but I have a, I have a New Year's resolution that I made this year, 
that I would dedicate at least one film watching of the of each week to uh, an anniversary Oscar nominee. So I'm getting I'm going through and trying to watch as many Oscar nominees as possible, and so I I'm going back and I. I've made a list of all the 2010 Oscar nominees I haven't seen and the 2000 Oscar nominees and went back as far as I could until I got 52 films and then just randomly arranged them and I'm going to be watching them uh, throughout the year. So uh, I already missed one because I simply couldn't find it, which really bummed me out. But uh, yeah. What was that? Uh, 1990 The Field oh. with uh, Richard Harris. Yeah, that, that, that I couldn't find. I found... Um, let's see, I found like a bootleg free YouTube thing, but it was like sped up and really awkward and I just, I couldn't, I did like two minutes of it. It's like, nope, nope, can't do it. Unless I want to buy the $50 out of print DVD on Amazon. Uh, it's not streaming anywhere. It's not at any library system. Yeah. So, but no, I've got, I've gotten a couple in, but in, I know it's on a list cause it was nominated in, in 2010. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that one. Have you seen that one, Zach? I have not. Uh, I can't remember, but a few years ago, the movie Hounds of Love made my top five list. Was that a movie you saw, Todd? Because it's sort of a similar premise. It's also Australian. I mean, yeah. it's probably a different movie, but... Yeah, yeah, I saw it. It's not really the same, but yeah, I, I do remember the movie. I don't know. I just thought I'd bring it up. Animal Kingdom sounds like a total Todd movie. Yeah. It is. It, yeah. Yeah. That's why As I was the show. Too. All right, so that leaves us with number nine on Adam's list is the 2013 film The Hunt. Wow. Yeah. Mods? Mods, yeah. Did not expect to see that on his list. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. Not, not, I wouldn't put it in my top ten of the decade, but it's a good movie. I had it in my top 25 of the decade. Ooh. Overlap. Spoiler alert! Spoiler. So far, Adam and I are, are, are you know, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, binded at the heart, bound at the heart. Looking at <laughs> looking at Adam's list, it there are picks on his list that is going to make each of us proud. So he's he's grown so he's much. He's grown so much. He's like it's like our student. <laughs> you know, he's been under our tutelage. <laughs> All right, Zach, number eight. Okay, number eight on my list is my third film from 2018, which is on my top. So, so screw you guys for saying you know 2018 was a was a bad year, and and this wasn't even my number one of 2018. So that's another hint for where my list is going, I guess. Uh, this is a movie that I think was my number seven of 2018. So, uh, it's a movie that really stuck with me. I obviously underrated it a little bit on my list last year, and that film is Capernaum. From Lebanon, directed by Nadine Labaki. It was nominated for Best Foreign Film, did not win it. Um, it's now the highest grossing Middle Eastern film of all time, interestingly enough. I just read that. Um, but it stars a first-time actor named Zayn al-Rafia. And he is Syrian in real life. He's a, uh, a Syrian refugee. And it tells the story of his character, who's also named Zane, and uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's trying to divorce himself from his parents, saying that they're neglectful, and the movie kind of shows uh, a flashback about kind of the events that lead to this trial, which involves selling off his sister to a pimp, uh, 
essentially, and uh, him abandoning his family and um, basically becoming the de facto caretaker for an Ethiopian infant. When I reviewed this movie last year, I said that the infant... Uh, it was it was the greatest baby performance in the history of movies because that infant is amazing. Like he, I don't know how you how you direct an infant, but uh, he's awesome. That's the centerpiece of the movie is this relationship between this little kid Zane and this baby, and uh, that hour stretch of the movie is just awesome. The rest of the movie isn't quite that great, but but it left such a powerful uh, emotional impact on me that I couldn't forget about this movie. Um, it's kind of like City of God, Slumdog Millionaire type territory, but uh, I think it's just a really really powerful movie that leaves you shaken and I love movies about kids and trauma that are not American and um, it's a total Zach movie uh, just uh, awesome awesome choice anyone who's seen it I'm sure would love it so Capernaum my number eight film now what he didn't say was if it were American he wouldn't like it but since it was foreign oh, of course yeah yeah it's on his top ten of the day. no if it was American if it was American I, I would still like it too <laughs> but I think some of the polish, some of the lack of polish in the movie, I think, is really uh, effective as an aesthetic choice by the director. Yeah. So I like it. All right. Did you ever see that, Terry? Nope. Add it to your list. Yeah. Maybe Adam has it on his on his list. You never know. Impressive. You never know. I've seen it, but I, I don't think it's as good as you're making it out to be. I think Lavaki made a better movie called Car- Caramel back uh, back about a decade ago. But yeah, it, it's a good movie. But I, I don't know. I, I can't see it being a top ten movie. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies that, you know what, I, I've only seen it once. Maybe if I went back and saw it, I'd look at some of the holes in it. Uh, but I'm just thinking about the visceral experience of watching it and my reaction to it. And it's a movie that, unlike a lot of movies, even from just the last 12, 16 months, really hasn't left my brain that much. Um, it was just a really awesome experience seeing it in a theater. So and maybe that's a lame excuse, but hey, so what? It's my list, not yours. <laughs> All right, number eight on my list. Uh, I'm a, a sucker for a good uh, based on a true story movie, um, especially those really? ones that. Well, especially those ones that that you you look at and it's like you wouldn't believe it unless it actually happened, um, because that just adds so much to it when you can say that this this is a this is an actual story. This is what actually happened, and that is. The case for my number eight, which is my number one from 2012. It was the best picture winner from 2012, and that is Argo. Um, this is uh, the best Ben Affleck has ever been in a movie. This is the best film he has ever made. Um, it is the true story of um, a CIA undercover mission to retrieve um, some... Uh, some Americans who had escaped the embassy before the Iran hostage uh, situation took place uh, by faking a uh, sci-fi movie, and it, it's it's just so ridiculous that this happened, that they even thought of it, and that it worked. Um, but uh, but yeah, Ben Affleck plays Tony Mendez, the actual CIA agent who led the mission. Um, he's supported by Brian Cranston, Alan Arkin, John Goodman. It's it's just amazing. It it is one I rewatched uh, leading up to this, and um, and I was as blown away by it the on the rewatch as I was the first time around. Um, su- such a good movie and such a great story. And my word, the fact that this actually happened just adds so much more to it. Um, and it was at this it was at this moment in in Academy time where they really were digging films that were 
kind of indirectly or directly about Hollywood. And um, I really like that time too because I really like the films that were that it produced. So uh, Argo number eight, uh, yeah, I loved it. So you're saying that's the best movie Ben Affleck's ever been in? I'm saying it's the best movie, he his best performance, and the best movie he's made since he directed it too. I guess it's his best okay. it's his best directed movie, and it's his best performance. Not necessarily saying it's the best movie he's ever been in, but it might be. Yeah, that was a strange Oscars. I, it really know, was a strange the, the Oscars. The omission for best director was just unthinkable. Do you, uh, here's a good trivia question, Terry. Do you remember who awarded the best picture Oscar that year? Oh. So it was someone pretty notable. Do you remember? Oh, Tom? oh, oh, it was Michelle Obama. Yes, it yeah. was. Yep. And Jack, with a little help from Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I was going to say Jack because, you know, when in doubt, say Jack when it's ta- talking about Best Picture. But um, but at that time, it was always like Morgan Freeman and Julia Roberts, right? I, I don't know. I well, guess I don't remember Michelle Obama doing that, but okay. Yeah, I saw a clip of that recently that they were saying, remember when? Yeah, yeah, she, she was hosting an Oscar party at the White House, and they cut to a satellite feed of her with the envelope. Okay. I remember that. And that went more smoothly than Warren Beatty and <laughs> Faye Dunaway, somehow. Uh, Twice. <clears throat> speaking, Two years in a row, right? Speaking of that, yeah. so one of the things I, I, I had to do today, uh, you know, just kind of processing the day, is I, I went back and I watched, uh, actually for the first time I watched Dear Basketball, um, Kobe's Oscar-winning uh, animated short, and then I watched him get uh, the, the presentation of his Oscar. And it was... Um, it was by Oscar Isaac, Mark Hamill, and uh, I forget her name, the girl who plays Rose in, uh, in the Star Wars movies. Um, uh, yeah, but, uh, but Mark Hamill is the one uh, announcing it, and as he's opening the envelope, he goes, don't say La La Land, don't say La La Land, don't say La La <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Anyways, okay, Todd, number eight. Okay, my number eight is uh, Boyhood, my number one of 2014. Uh, it's a movie that kind of loses a bit on rewatches, which is why it's this low on my list, or I would have thought it would have been a lot higher originally when I first watched it. It's uh, the Richard Linklater movie about this kid, Mason, played by Eller Coltrane. It's through a series of like vignettes over the course of 12 years from like when he's like six or so until he's in college. And uh, Linklater is the master of doing these kind of movies where about young people and but uh this is as full of heart as anything he's ever really done i feel like and ethan hawk and patricia arquette were nominated for playing his parents and who are both amazing in their roles and i just feel like watching the movie the first time you know that you're watching something that's going to be documented it's going to be looked back on as like one of the most important movies of the time and it'd be hard not to conclude it on this list even though like watching it multiple times since then it, it does kind of after you get used to it it, do, it does lose a bit but it still is one of the most powerful movies i've seen this decade that is quite the fall though it's down to eight i was i was expecting that to be at least top three for you todd yeah i know that's why i'm saying it i mean but I mean that that's the that's the disadvantage of watching movies multiple times. Yeah, I guess like it's true. you're always scared that it's not going to live up to what you thought it was the first time. Yeah, yeah, I had it. I had it number twenty one on my 
top list of the decade. And the reason being because I feel like the first half is better than the second half. Before he gets That's, to be, you Isn't know, that what you like, just said about Capernaum? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, but Boyhood, I think, I don't know. But I mean, maybe it's just, uh, maybe it's a statement about when your teenager life isn't as interesting. But I don't know. I thought his life kind of got a little bit more uh, repetitive in the last few years so, so it's a better movie when he has to deal with his drunk stepdad than it is when he yeah. becomes pretentious and he turns into uh him and his girlfriend turn into jesse and celine exactly yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> exactly yeah that's a that's a really good criticism terry <laughs> they do kind of become jesse and celine i never thought about that before but yeah you're, oh you're, totally. you're, the drive to, the drive to austin to go visit ut is that's totally what happens there yeah I, that may have been one I had to rewatch over the last uh, over the last month or so. So it's fresh in my mind. <laughs> it's still a good pick, though. It is. It's a very. And it should have. It should have won Best Picture in twenty fourteen. We all know that. I'm I, yes. I'm not quite revealing where it's at on my list yet because it's coming up. Uh, okay, so before we go any further, that leaves us to number eight on Adam's list. Uh, number eight on Adam's list is another 2013 movie, and this one, I gotta give props to Adam for this one, Fruitvale Station. I'm, oh, yeah, you did love that movie. Yeah, I'm, imp- I'm, I'm impressed. I, I didn't have the guts to put it up that high, but that is, that is a... That That's is interesting, because I know, that, I know awesome Creed was his number one of the year it came out, so does that mean Creed is gonna actually... Is that gonna be higher? We're gonna have multiple Coogler movies? Maybe know. even three? Wow. I don't know. <laughs> But that that was that was an amazing movie, La- launched Michael B. Jordan into everyone's everyone's uh, consciousness there. Yeah, cool. he should. He was the, he was clearly gave the best performance of that year, like by any actor or actress. Like it was unreal what he did in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, Zach, number seven. Number seven is also a movie from 2013. It's a film that did better at the Oscars than Fruitvale Station. It's a film that won Best Picture at the Oscars for that year, and that was 12 Years a Slave. Uh, it's a movie that I feel like a lot of um, top 10 lists this decade have sort of forgotten for some reason. I'm not really sure, but this was a movie that was universally praised at the time it came out. I think people realized it was sort of an instant classic. Uh, some obvious comparisons to Schindler's List. You know, it's it's, it's now the sort of de facto um, sort of comprehensive uh film about slavery even though it isn't really i mean you know you can't really capture the totality of slavery in any story but uh it's a movie that both mixes the uh really um, a strong um emotional side with just this these horrible things that are happening on screen with also a really uh well-written screenplay obviously based on solomon northrup's uh memoir which as a result of the movie became sort of a staple now in high school uh, american lit classrooms the Chuatel Four leads an awesome cast, including Michael Fassbender, Benedict Cumberbunch, Paul Giamatti, Paul Dano, and in her Academy Award winning debut, Lupita Nyong'o. I think what I wrote was that that's my favorite Oscar moment of the decade was when she won. Um, and uh, it's just an awesome movie that, again, you'd be hard-pressed to find serious, valid criticism of. It's a really powerful movie on its impact, and rewatching it again, it remains powerful. So it's a great choice, I think, number seven, 12 Years a Slave. Well, I hope you think it's a great choice. It's on your list. But 
I, the reason why nobody has it on their list now is because it really is hard to rewatch. Like I've tried to rewatch yeah. parts of it, and I'm like, I, I can't sit through it. It, it. it was an easy four star movie at the time because it was the most important movie that came out that year. But everyone's forgotten about it because it's a forgettable movie. Like it's it's hardly even in my top ten of the year anymore. And and which, is, I mean, says something. I guess I don't know. I would say I, it's I, I, I would say it's it's a hard movie to rewatch in the same way that Schindler's List is a hard movie to rewatch in that it's just it's so no no it, no it's more it's more like 1917 or something where we're, we're going to forget about it next year but right now it's really important I mean because I mean that's the way it feels like like th- th- I, I'm going to feel about the, that the same way next year as I, about 1917 as I did about I don't know I don't know if I agree with that I mean I, I can understand kind of what Terry's saying it's not an easy movie to watch it's not like you turn it on and get some popcorn and a soda and a beer and you know let's let's you know watch you know shoot a tell edgy before get the shit beat out well you of might get a beer but like but... okay well maybe a beer <laughs> but like I mean the I don't like Schindler's List. Like this is a movie that I think has at culturally made us, uh, you know, look again critically at at slavery. You know, and I think uh, the idea of reparations has become a major political question this decade. I think as a result of the visibility of this movie, and um, it wouldn't have been that way. I think if this movie wasn't powerful storytelling. So uh, I I disagree with you that people just forgot about it. I think it's a movie that's hard to watch and it's not fun to watch. But uh, that's why it's important by the way zach it's benedict cumberbatch what i say you said benedict cumberbunch benedict cumberbunch it's his his doppelganger that's what you said i don't know i I mean i still think it is still a great movie but i just i don't know i I don't think i i think there's a reason why it's not appearing on top 10 lists the way schindler's list would have in at the late 90s is because i mean i i think it loses it, it, it lost something after that year it came out when it's no longer like high in your consciousness like it's i, don't know. I mean schindler's list is my number one in the 90s so maybe i'm just the demographic that you know is is absorbed by these movies i agree with zach um i had to rewatch it to to really remember the impact but um yeah i agree with zach uh but but i to the credit of what todd's saying too I had forgotten a lot about it, and it had felt like it had kind of come become a little cliche. Like the parts I remembered were were like the cliche little quotable quips that pop up all throughout. Um, until I rewatched it, and then I remembered how powerful of a movie it is. All right, number Terry. S- number seven on my list. Um, I'm glad I was able to agree with Zach on uh, on that one because he's not going to agree with me on this one. Uh, because number seven on my list is from 2017, and that is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. All right. Yeah. Uh, this movie, I, what was really interesting about this movie, this one seemed to be like the movie that as soon as everybody saw it, they loved it. And then, like, as you know, some of the fallout came from everybody, you know, reacting to it and trying to almost, like, overly politicize the meanings behind it. Everyone, like, abandoned. And it went from being, like, Oscar frontrunner to are we really okay even giving the performances Oscars? But this movie, I remember I saw this one with Todd and Adam. It's like the one time the three of us had ever been in a, in a, in a movie together. Uh, and we left there, and this was like one of the most entertaining uh, movie-going experiences of the decade. And because it is 
it is a movie that it has power it has that impact to it but also it is wickedly funny too uh, and has this bite to it. Uh, Frances McDormand is the best she's been since Fargo in a very, very different role. Uh, Sam Rockwell resurrects his career here. Um, it, it's it's just so good as it tells the story of this of this mother fighting for justice for her daughter. Um, and uh, and I, I I loved it then. Uh, this is one I didn't get a chance to rewatch. But I have watched it since I saw it in the theaters, and it, it I think it still holds up, and I think people, it's one that has kind of been abandoned on some lists because of some of the fallout from it, and you know, is it a racist movie? How appropriate is it for a, for a uh, for a an Irish screenwriter director to be uh, making a movie about um, about racism in the Midwest and and all this stuff? But it doesn't doesn't take away from the fact that it is a solid quality movie it's an entertaining movie that really has some power and impact behind it and the performances that won oscars totally deserved it and uh it's still one of my one of my best movies now with that said when we did this exercise zach what like two years ago on um on adam's youtube channel this was number five on my list of the decade and it's fallen to number seven so it's fallen down a little bit but it's still on my list it still deserves a spot there so Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, number seven. Yeah, and just so we're clear, like, I mean, I don't, you know, the 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 redemption arc of the racist character, I, I you know, I if that's not really what I objected to. I think I sort of agree with you, Terry. I think that got blown a little bit out of proportion. I just thought it was not that great of a movie. Like, you're gonna tell me that Frances McDormand can really throw a Molotov cocktail across the street. You're gonna tell me that she says goodbye to her daughter. You know, she, the, the, right before she gets killed, and the contrived uh, coincidences that happen in this movie. It's just a clumsy movie. I don't know. Uh, very overrated but you know the, the the racism didn't help but that's not really my objection with it yeah yeah it's in that category similar to fargo i feel or, or i mean argo i mean i feel like which it, it was a yeah similar to when, when it came out it was winning all the awards and all of a sudden like so for some reason there was a bunch of backlash like right before the oscars and somehow argo still was able to withstand that but three billboards i don't know a little bit too controversial. It couldn't actually pick up Best Picture after getting stuff for Best Director. I still think it's a great movie too. I've seen it a few times. It's I I, I still love it. Where does that one fall for you, Todd? Uh, it it was just outside my top twenty-five. Okay. Because I remember you were saying the same thing as we left the theater that it was like it was one of the more entertaining trips to the yeah. theater of the decade. Just remember, Terry. I'll leave you with two words: inclusion rider. Yes, yes. And then everyone, and everyone uh, looked that up. Mm-hmm. Ecological for, sanitation. For for, for, for for ten seconds, the world was very confused. <clears throat> Just like ecological sanitation, ecological sanitation, and what was it? Inclusion rider. The, I, I would say the one. That's what that brought this decade. I, I would say I would say the one the one problem with this movie is. Uh, is the result of this movie was that Sam Rockwell got a nomination for Vice the next year. That Ooh. that it that was that is the one downside of this movie because there's no way he deserved a nomination for Vice. He had two performances this year that deserved a nomination before his nomination for Vice. So Vice deserved zero nominations overall. I don't know how. <laughs> how was Vice not on our any one of our bottom five lists? 
<laughs> I didn't. I didn't mind Vice well, that much. I, I thought. I thought Christian Bale was outstanding in Vice. I didn't give it zero stars. Like, if I was going with movies I hated watching the most, then I mean, I would have considered a lot more movies like that. I would have been okay seeing Christian Bale win the Oscar last year. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I mean, Rami Malek. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was a weird Oscars too. Yeah. 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 Todd and I've been talking about this. Uh, Joker is this year's Bohemian Rhapsody. Good comparison. Yeah. I can see it. All right. Uh, Todd, you're next. Number seven. All right, my number seven is one of those movies you guys are talking about where it's like, you know, uh, it wasn't my number one of the year, but screw it. I'm putting it on my list anyway. It's Skyfall. It's the... Uh, James Bond wow. movie by Sam Mendes <laughs> yes. in 2012. Todd unhinged. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I that mean, is definitely Sam a Mendes screw it pick from Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it just has so much more panache than you would ever expect from a Bond movie. And I don't know if Daniel Craig could ever give a better performance. I think it's Judi Dench's best performance since, like, 2000. And, I don't know, it's... Uh, like Javier Bardem is probably the one of the best villains of the of the decade. It, it, it's one of those movies where you just watch it and you just like know that you're watching something really cool, and then it gets like really good, and then you're just like, wow, I can't forget about that movie. And, like the Roger Deakins cinematography is insane. Every shot, every set has such a, an amazing idea. Every set piece, uh, it it it. Uh, I don't know. It's something else, and I. I don't know. I think it was it was in my top ten of that year, but now I I, I have a hard time not putting it in my number one of 2012. It I was hesitant to include it on this list, but I mean, yeah. But I think I said screw it. it. It's going on there. Skyfall is my number seven. Best best Bond <laughs> song of all time. It it would be in the top five. That that that'd be a good power thing to do. But that would that yes. would be. You have some yes. like Let's really iconic songs that came out came from Bond movies. Yeah. Like, live and let die and stuff like that yeah live and let die is the one that that pops into my head but uh number seven from adam uh we have overlap 2019 parasite is adam's number seven wow that was his number one of 2019 so it makes sense that i i I, it's up there i mean it's up there so Um, there's multiple foreign films from adam that is multiple foreign films I can tell you, though, that is the last of the foreign films, so... Ah, oh, you're ruining it. Spoiler! Anyways. <laughs> is that really a spoiler, though? <laughs> is it really? <laughs> I didn't think The Hunt was going to be on there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spoil that. Anyways, all right. Uh, number six? Number six, Zach. Okay, number six is a movie that I've really thought... This is maybe the one that doesn't fit. I'm pretty satisfied with my list. This one I'm not so satisfied with because I think it should actually be higher. Ooh. But I don't know how I don't know how to put it higher without moving the other movies lower. That's the problem. That yeah. Sense. I know. I mean, this movie I could really make a case for being like my number one of the decade because from a purely like viewing standpoint, it's just I can't think of any other movie that I don't know. Uh, it is Blue Valentine, directed by Derek C. M. France. With Ryan Gosling and uh, Michelle Williams, did you know that uh, they actually Derek C. M. France had uh, Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams like w- live with each other for like a month, like in the same house, so that they could understand what it was like to be married to each other, like the characters are in this movie. I thought that was really cool, and I thought Derek C. M. France is, is one of the great discoveries of the of the 2010s because he made several great movies. This being the best one, and uh, it's a movie that shows. Uh, 
this marriage between the characters of Dean and Cindy, and uh, the movie kind of juxtaposes both uh, the time when they meet, which is shot on kind of grainy, gritty film, and uh, it flashes forward to the present day when they are, uh, Brian Gosling is a drunk, and Michelle Williams is depressed and spends a lot of time at work, and they have a daughter, and um, it's shot digitally. And uh, boy, this movie is like an emotional wallop. Like it is, it, it's a, it's a really tough movie to watch. Um, I guess that's a recurring theme on my list. Um, it's not like a violent movie, but there's like a lot of emotional violence. I guess you would say with it. Um, the performances are immaculate, and uh, I think it's a movie that kind of got I don't know lost somewhere in the Oscar shuffle. Um, but uh, I, I think it got originally slapped with an NC-17, so maybe that ruined its chances a little bit. Um, it's definitely not a sexy movie in any way, um, but it's an extraordinary movie, um, maybe the most accurate movie ever made about marriage. So, so there, laid it all on the line. It's an awesome movie. Watch it. Ryan Gosling is amazing. And I also wanted to add, which was in my little write-up on Facebook, The Place Beyond the Pines would have been my number one of the decade if it ended at the 53-minute mark. Nice. I have not seen Blue Valentine, but currently I'm slated to watch it sometime, I think, in October. When you go on Apollo 19, you're slated to go on Apollo yeah, 19. Yeah, sometime, You've already sometime mapped right out year. when you're watching these movies? <laughs> oh, yeah, I have them all. I, I, I listed out the 52 movies I'm going to watch, and I, and oh, I, and I, and I uh, randomized when they're all going to be. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to watch Blue Valentine two weeks before I watch uh, Animal Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> this week, I, I just stopped at the library to pick up my, my movie for this week. It's uh, Another Year. The Mike Lee movie that was nominated for best uh, best oh, screenplay I, in 2010. I never I never saw that movie, but obviously I don't think really Terry's good. gonna like that movie. Blue Valentine? No, another year. Oh, uh, the uh, the first one or the last one Have I watched. Have you seen a Mike Lee? What was Mike? You've seen Happy Go Lucky, right? Nope. Is that your only Mike? No. So, what, have you seen a Mike Lee movie? Ooh, that's a great question. I honestly don't know. Secrets and Lies. No. Vera, Vera Drake. No, I I own Vera Drake, but I haven't watched it yet. So you, I don't think you've seen one. Then. I don't think I've seen. Wow. One. You didn't see Mr. Turner. Didn't see Mr. Turner. Yeah. Or, or um, all right, I'm Topsy Turvy. Life is no. sweet. No. Life is sweet. That's my favorite Mike Lee movie. I'm looking this up. I don't think I've seen a Mike Lee movie. Peter Lou was pretty damn good. He's a good director. I, I I think Terry would like Mike Lee's stuff. I'm not sure he's gonna like. I've really not year, seen though. a Mike Lee movie. Nope, I haven't seen a Mike Lee movie. So I'm going to be watching well, my first Mike Lee movie in the next couple days. Unless someone assigns it to you if you lose trivia. Okay, with all due respect to Mike Lee, what's your feedback on Blue Valentine? Come on, is this a good pick? Todd? Right? Todd? I mean, I it's a, I mean, it's a good movie, yeah. I mean, I, I think I had it outside my top ten of that year. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a really good movie. It's definitely better than a couple of the picks you've had so far. So I... <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it is not. It's not an easy movie to watch. You're right, and I don't think I've seen any part of it since I watched it in the theater when it came out. So I don't. Know. I mean, that was what ten years ago now. So it's I don't know. Kind of hard to talk. Say. Listen, this was a decade of Ryan Gosling. Okay, he already has two movies on my top ten list, and we haven't even talked about Drive, which I think is a reasonable bet to maybe make an appearance on Todd's list. And uh, you know, th- th- this was truly his decade. Yet how many nominations did he get this decade? Did he get any? Not as many as Bradley Cooper. He got apparently. he got one, I think, for La La Land, right? I think that was it. Bradley Cooper? No, no, Gosling. No, Ryan oh, Gosling. Oh. Did he? I think he yeah. just got one for La La Land, didn't he? 
Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. Did he even was he even nominated for La La Land? Yes. Yes. Okay. He saved jazz. He did. <laughs> he he did. Did you see? The, he host, he hosted uh, SNL right after La La Land came out, and his whole monologue was about how he saved jazz. all right anyways let's get back to it number six on my list uh, is the highest rated animated film on my list and that is 2015's inside out um at least it wasn't coco it was not coco coco and it was yeah it's not i don't know where coco fell but uh inside out just i mean this movie is possibly the most the most poignant and like just amazing movie Pixar's ever made of of being able to explain how just how how brains work in such a simplified manner but getting it so right on at the same time and and again as someone who works with kids right around that age where you know puberty hits and 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 your brain just kind of loses track of who you are and what you're doing and all that stuff this is it, it, it's amazing watching this movie. I I, I love watching it. Um, uh, my kid loves this movie, so I get to revisit it every now and then. And uh, and yeah, the the just the idea of you have these emotions vying for control of of what you're doing and how you go through. I can go through these moments of of like depression and and things like it's uh, it just outstanding, just amazing movie. A, the most powerful thing they've ever done and uh yeah it had it had to be high on my list so yeah number six inside out yep pete doctor is the genius of pixar he he makes the most heartfelt things that they they, they can do the most emotionally relevant movies they could do yeah I'm trying to remember what else did doctor do it's a great pick i uh, monsters inc up yeah uh, he's he he ups the ante when it comes to emotion. Nah. At Pixar. He ups the ante. Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah. See, I would say my my number two Pixar movie is uh is probably Wall-E. So, but I think that's Andrew Stanton, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So that's my number uh number six. Todd number six. All right. So Zach just mentioned it is Drive, uh, by Nicholas Winding Refn. So you have certain experiences when you're watching a movie in the theater where the audience is audibly not liking the movie, and that kind of just <laughs> makes you like it even more. I had a similar experience watching Tropic Thunder, but this was the one that stands out more because the people I went there with hated it, and I was loving it even more because of it. And I don't know. I, I love the movie so much that I actually read the book and its sequel, which I don't ever really do, but I was just so fascinated by the character and... Um, and I mean, and then the movie gave us like these like awesome character actors. It sort of introduced Hollywood to like Brian Cranston and Oscar Isaac and Carrie Mulligan in like big in like big movies. And I don't know the the violence in the movie is like super graphic, but it also feels like so brief that it's actually really realistic and weird. And I don't know. I I can I uh I always compared it to like the violence in Scarface or something like that. It's it, I don't know. There's something about this movie that got me like obsessed with it when I watched it, and some when I, I remember after watching it, I was like, you know what? They don't make movies like this anymore, and they still don't. 
And that is why Drive makes an appearance on this list, because it is, like, a movie that came from a different era, but was, like, so very new age that it was still was relevant, and that is why it's in my top ten. Yeah, that's a movie I need to revisit, because I remember very little about that movie, and I remember you just absolutely adored it when it came out, and I was like, really? I mean, it was it was really good. I'm looking, it's in my top 15 of that year. But yeah, you lo- you loved it so much that you brought the drive book to uh, Vegas on our trip in February of 2012. I did. Well, was I going to have you read it or something? <laughs> I don't know why you brought it. <laughs> I don't know why you thought there'd be time to read, but I mean... For the same reason you started reading a book on our podcast, Zach, I mean... Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. What's Adam's Adam's number six, number six is from 2010, The Social Network. Yeah, I could see that. I thought it was gonna be higher. Yeah, I was I was looking at that one on my list recently because I knew that's one I'm that's been popping about, up a lot. I, I, I really I don't know what bu- Adam's number one is going to be now because I I kind of thought that that had a really good chance of being his number one. Yeah, yeah, I had Social Network as my number five of 2010, um, and I know everybody else has it a lot higher, and it's been popping up on a lot of lists. But anyways, that's where it's at on mine. Okay. I think we're into top fives now, aren't we? Zach, number five? Zach, number five. Number five is my number one film of 2015, and that is Brooklyn, directed by John Crowley. It's a movie that got a couple Oscar nominations, including Best Actress for Shearsha Ronan, uh, who's now a four-time Oscar nominee after uh, her recent nomination for Little Women. I think this is her best performance. And it's a movie that's set in the early 50s about an Irish immigrant and her experiences as she uh, travels from Ireland to Brooklyn, experiences homesickness, falls in love for the first time, is beckoned back home, and has to sort of ultimately decide where she wants to live. It's a, uh, it's probably the, the, the warmest movie on my list. Uh, I have a lot of really dark, depressing, violent movies. This one is, is a, a lot more optimistic and hopeful. Um, it has a really sweet uh, romance between the Shirsha Ronan character and the Emery Cohen character. He's also really good in this movie. Um, it's a really strong tribute to America, and uh, it's, uh, you know, a, a really also cool coming-of-age story about this kind of awkward adolescent who kind of blossoms into a really serious and sophisticated uh, young woman by the end of the movie. And uh, Shearsha Ronan is incredible in it, so it's my number five of the decade. It's, it's an amazing movie. I didn't want to see it when it first came out because I thought it looked corny. It's definitely not corny. It's a really good movie. Yeah, I, I love that one, too. It's in my top 25. Um, and, uh, yeah, early reports out of Sundance, by the way, are that uh, Saoirse Ronan might be, uh, might be looking at another Oscar nomination this year uh, for uh, a movie called Ammonite, where uh, uh, it just got picked up by Neon, where uh, she uh, falls in love with Kate Winslet. Highlighted on my Oscar predictions, by Is, the way. Was it really? <laughs> Really? So, uh, did you have her in the in your lineup, or? Uh... I don't know if she was in my top five, but I know I wrote about that movie like four times. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it uh it was a. Uh, I've been uh, I follow a bunch of people that are out at Sundance right now, and uh, yeah, I got picked up by Neon like instantly as soon as it was shown. So. So is Saoirse Ronan's four Oscar nominations more impressive than Jennifer Lawrence's first four Oscar nominations? Well, I think she didn't she like tie the record with with uh, with Jennifer Lawrence as the the youngest to get four Oscar nominations. I guess. Well, je- like, well, R- Saoirse Ronan's first was in two thousand seven. Like, right. Like, Jennifer Lawrence had 
four in six years. I would say I think that searches are more more impressive because some of Jennifer Lawrence's have kind of felt like it's Jennifer Lawrence we're gonna award her like she didn't deserve a nomination for American Hustle I don't think and uh, that and, yeah that was an old fashioned nomination yeah that, and that's and, like Kim Basinger and Ella Confidential or something like that and I never saw Joy but it kind of felt like uh, all right well she's making another movie with David O Russell we got to give her another nomination so. I actually thought Joy was her best performance of, oh. of the one she got nominated well, for. Well, then maybe I'm wrong, but uh, but o- but overall, I would agree with you about Shirley Ronan's in part because the differences in the roles that she played were pretty extreme. You know, compare Lady Bird to Joe March to, you know, Eilish and uh, Brooklyn. Those are those are pretty different roles. And then you go all the way back to Briny and realize that she, you know, she made the transition from child star to to adult and. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that's pretty impressive. <clears throat> okay, yeah. number five on my list. Um, for a long time, I thought this was going to be, or this had the had a chance of being my number one. Um, on repeat watch, I still loved it, but I, I realized that my infatuation with it was maybe a little, uh, a little over-exaggerated, so it's back down to number five, and that is the Oscar winner from 2011, The Artist. Um... I remember when I saw this movie in theaters, I was obsessed. I thought this was like the greatest thing I had ever seen, like like possibly the greatest movie ever. And obviously a lot of Oscar voters kind of had the same infatuation with it as it as somehow this this small French writer director made a movie a black and white silent film with a guy who spoke very broken English and never said a word in the movie who ended up winning best actor and uh, it worked its way all the way up to director and picture and all this stuff. So, but no, it's, it's a story of a, of a silent film star who um, struggles to make the transition to talkies. And it's a, it's a story of, of, uh, of how, you know, fame can, uh, can go both ways it can make you it can break you and uh and ultimately potentially sometimes resurrect you and uh i i i still love this movie like i said it's i i backed off from it being the greatest thing ever but um but oh it's it's so good and and jean dujardin is is amazing in it it's really it's basically if singing in the rain was actually made as a silent film that's what the artist is and it's it's so creative and imaginative in how it in how it tells the story. And uh, and and I I I love it. it. It's it's a it's an amazing movie. I know everyone always says it's like the most overrated best picture winner of the of the decade. But I'm not. I'm saying it's 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 a top five film of the decade. So there you go. Crap on my on my pick. Number five, the artist. John Goodman mentioned number two. Yes, it is. <laughs> John Goodman had a great decade. He d- he had a great early decade. He kind of flailed out after. Well, he he went back to back with uh, with the artist and Argo. And then I feel like he was in a twenty thirteen Best Picture nominee too. Like well, he was in Flight Flight as well. Okay. Yeah, he had, he had a shot of having a really good, a really amazing decade, or he had the start of a really amazing decade, but. Yep. 
My re- my reaction to the artist is that it was a really cool movie to watch in theaters, but I think the return on investment wasn't quite as high. I think when you go back to it, maybe it's similar to Todd's reaction to uh, Twelve Years a Slave or something like that. Like upon review, re- rewatching it, it kind of feels like because it's such an homage to movies from the twenties, why not just watch movies from the twenties? That's that was sort of my reaction. I also pretty much thought the only reason it won Best Picture was because besides the 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 sort of gimmicky structure it had a dance sequence and a cute dog i I feel like oscar voters really latched on to those facts um and it might have been a weak year (laughs) yeah it was a pretty bad year well there there is that like hugo was the was the next best contender so (laughs) so so john goodman also his other uh best picture nominee is he played stan the doorman in extremely loud and incredibly close Oh, great. Another great um, movie. Yeah, and then he was in Flight, and uh, he was in Inside Lewin Davis, and uh, he was in Monsters University, Clo- obviously. And Cloverfield, uh, the Cloverfield yeah, sequel. One of the Clover- yeah, the Cloverfield <laughs> sequel. He was in... Um, uh, then uh, he was in The Monuments Men, The Internship, and The Hangover Part 3. So there was go. a nosedive a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right, Todd, number five. All right, my number five, no shame, it is Uncut Gems. <laughs> uh, wow. We've we talked about it a lot on the last couple podcasts. I'm not going to get too into it. it. It's just the most, like, flawless and, like, creative casting I've ever seen in a movie. And Adam Sandler, I think, gives the best leading male performance of the entire decade. It is an intense movie. It's got this incredible energy. It's everything that I want in a movie. And I feel the Safdie brothers are interesting. Their movies are not easy to swallow, but this one is just so... It draws you in so much that even though it's bleak, it, it it's hard to resist. It is an, it is an amazing movie. And, it, yeah, it's gonna be, it's, my, it's my number five of the decade, and I don't really care. <laughs> I think upon rewatch, it might make my top 25, but it's just outside. Yeah, it's in my top 25, and I totally respect your pick, Todd. It's, it's a great pick. It sh- I I want to put it in my top ten too, but I know I better watch it like a month ago. Yeah, that yeah. See, that's the thing is I I, I wanted to like it's not guard fun. myself against you know just picking the movies I just watched. So it's really it's really not fair because there's a good chance that it really is as good as we think it is, and it should be in my top ten as well. But I I appreciate the audacity of Utah to put it in your top five. It's it's a great call. Thank you. More more justified than Skyfall. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I agree. So, <laughs> that's why you have it above it. <laughs> exactly. All right, number five on Adam's list is from 2017. Get out. Nice. Of course, Adam was going to have a horror film in his top five. Is it the only one though? Ooh, stay tuned. No. <laughs> stay tuned. He loved revenge. It's true, he did. He really, really did. Alright. Zach, number four. Get Out was not in my top 25. It was my number 56. You actually ranked them all? I did my top 100. Uh, I See, I did that for last decade. I should have done that again. Well, there's still time. <laughs> Plenty wind's, of time. wind's still coming in from the west. The wind's still coming in from the west. Bakersfield, Todd. Bakersfield. Zach has no idea what we're talking about. I don't know what reference is that from. Is let me. Is it from the league? No, Castaway. Oh, 
There's still time. There's still time. The wind's still coming in from the west. And see, what's funny is I like that movie more than either of you. That's so I should have got that reference. <laughs> it's a good lullaby. It's it's yeah, it's it's a great movie to fall asleep to. That's what Todd and I have realized. I love that movie. I really do. But yeah, it's like our dad with golf. It's like you put that on if you want to go to sleep. <laughs> I've realized by the I, second tee off, you're you're out. By the way, I've realized a gr- Atticus's lullaby. He's he's been having some trouble sleeping, so he's been sleeping downstairs on the couch, or at least falling asleep downstairs on the couch. And if we want him to fall asleep, Fantasia. Oh, like good one. like uh, yeah, I with, can see it. within the first hour, like every time he's falling asleep every time before the dinosaurs come up. Because if the dinosaurs come up, he's not falling asleep, but he's falling asleep before the dinosaurs pop up every time. All right. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard your take on Castaway. My take on Castaway is that uh, I don't know why he'd want to leave the island. Uh, to me, if I was shipwrecked, I would just stay there. It seems pretty fun. I don't know. No taxes, no job, no people. I think it's sort of good weather. I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm envious, actually. The anarchist um, in you, you get pretty good at what he's doing. Yeah. Okay, uh, number four on my list is my fourth <laughs> film from 2018, which is on my top 10 list so obviously i was a big fan of movies that year or maybe it's just recency bias um it's one of a, only a few films that got a perfect 100 score on rotten tomatoes and it was of course overlooked uh by the academy awards and that film is leave no trace directed by deborah granick and starring thomas and mckenzie and ben foster and this is a uh really uh, amazing look at a father and daughter who are homeless and they live in the woods and then they have to reacclimate themselves to society when they're told they cannot can no longer live in the woods and then the movie kind of shifts over from ben foster's ptsd wounded warrior type thing to thomas and mckenzie as his daughter realizing that he's this traumatized figure and is also you know pretty broken and she has to sort of overcome uh his obstacles while still showing a lot of care for him uh it's an extraordinary film it doesn't have a lot of dialogue i I believe that ben foster and deborah granick went through the script and like eliminated 40 percent of the dialogue um so the most powerful moments are the quietest moments and um it's a really touching powerful movie that i think says a lot about families and love and relationships and of the wilderness too and and uh, the environment um shot in oregon great northwest movie shot on location and uh, Thomas and McKenzie, man, she was in Jojo Rabbit. I, she's the new Natalie Portman. She's going to win an Oscar the next decade. That's my big, bold prediction for this podcast. So when she does, people will look back on this film and remember what a great movie it was. And it's a movie set in Oregon that is obviously shot in Oregon. Like oh, they're obviously. I mean, yeah. they they take a ride on the Sky Train up to OHSU. It is. It, it's yeah. It's obvious that it's in Portland. Good yes. pick. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, really good pick. I love that movie. Yeah, it's in my top 25. Um, yeah. All right. Number four for me. I just have to say, so looking at my list, I I was, go as I was building my list, I was really set on what my one and two were going to be. I was really set on what my nine and ten were going to be. And three through eight were so hard. I knew what movies they were going to be, but what order they were going to be in was was really really tough and the top i'd say top four or five not top five i rewatched specifically for this and they completely blew me away and this was this was the best rediscovery of them all as i rewatched it and rediscovered just how awesome this movie is and that is 2010's black swan 
Um, nice. Yeah, this movie, my word, this movie is such a mind twist, and just I, it, it takes you on such a ride that you have no idea what's going on, but you're so fascinated by what's happening. Um, uh, Natalie Portman, like, I mean, by far. Has she ever been better than Black Swan? I mean, she is insane in this movie. Um, and then you have then you have Mila Kunis, and and Vincent Castle, and I mean th- this movie, uh, it's Darren Aronofsky at at the the best he can possibly be. I mean, he he makes some clunkers every now and then. This this is showing just what his peak can be. And uh, yeah, yeah, Black Swan just insane just insane if you if you haven't watched it if you haven't seen it see it if it's been a while since you've seen it watch it again because yeah this is one i don't think i'd seen since the theaters potentially or at least since or in like the last like eight or nine years and so when i rewatched it i remembered just how great this movie is that is a great one. His peak is definitely uh, the wrestler, but Black Swan is an amazing movie. It's it's definitely one of the best movies of that year, and yeah, I'd put this over the wrestler easily. But I know you're a big fan of the wrestler, so. Okay, but Natalie Portman's acceptance speech was nowhere close to Mickey Rourke's. Well, <laughs> I think we can agree that, on that. Well, Mickey yeah, Mickey Rourke never gave an Oscar accept, acceptance speech, so. Well, I'm just saying acceptance speech. His wasn't at the Oscars, but. <laughs> That's okay. By the way, way more notable. Speaking of acceptance speeches, I loved Joaquin Phoenix's SAG acceptance speech, where where he uh, where he went through every every nominee and talked about how being a kid actor, and uh, and going up against the legend of Leo for every single role, was it was pretty great. It was pretty great. Joaquin, it, it, that's that has to be the best Oscar speech coming up, right? No one's going to give a better acceptance speech. Pro- well. I don't well, what know. If, but what if Joe Pesci wins? I was gonna say what if, what if Taika Waititi wins screenplay? That is gonna be yeah. That's maybe, gonna be a fun acceptance speech. If that wins screenplay, then that's winning Best Picture. I don't know. Todd's still we're, on the we're, Jojo we're, Rabbit. We're, jump, we're jumping the gun. You're the only one, Todd. The, this is that's on the Jojo Rabbit Best Picture train. This is for no, our next there's podcast. There's got to be a package of, of awards that wins. <laughs> This this is for the next podcast. We're gonna we'll, we'll get to that then. All right. But yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's keep going. Todd, number four. Okay, my number four is one that has moved up my list more than any other due to rewatches, and that is The Wolf of Wall Street. The first time watching it, I knew it was really entertaining. It was really cool. It was Scorsese. It was Leo. I was like, yeah, I'm all on board. And yeah, it was a four-star movie. But watching it again, there's so much more in this movie than I actually thought there was. I don't think Leo has necessarily ever given a better performance. It might be like equal with The Departed or something like that. And Jonah Hill gives one of the great supporting roles in the entire decade. The, I mean, it's kind of like morally reprehensible, but that's not really what it's about. It could have been a party movie, but it... I mean, it indulges in that, but it's not really what it's about. It could have been, like, more, like, crime-based, like Boiler Room was, but it, it really isn't. It's it's more like Goodfellas in the stock market, and it gets you caught up in the atmosphere to the point that you are right there with the characters, and watching it again, it only gets better and better. It's a three-hour movie, but it's super short. It is awesome, and I feel bad having it this low. That's my number four, The Wolf of Wall Street. 
It's a great pick. I've done sort of a 180 on it as well. I admit I was wrong. It is a great movie. I, although I will also say I haven't totally rewatched it, but and I'm I'm tr- deliberately trying to leave out the parts I didn't like in it. But I I feel like if we could make a time capsule of this decade to give to aliens in the future, this would be the one movie from the 2010s I would choose to represent the culture of the 2010s. Interesting. I feel. That I feel like that response was like Miles talking to his talking to Jack's father-in-law. That's that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> well, I'm not really sure how it can follow that. <laughs> it's the one movie we would give to aliens if there whatever is a time capsule. Yeah, you want to describe to aliens what 2010 America 2010s America was like? Give them the Wolf of Wall Street. That's what America was like. I mean, it's it's an it's a great it's a great it's a great point. <laughs> I need to revisit Wolf of Wall Street. It's currently sitting uh, outside my top twenty-five of twenty thirteen. So, uh, <laughs> what would you see? Like thirty-five movies? <laughs> no, no. I saw that year. I saw fifty-eight. Thank you very much. <laughs> you were gonna try to slide that in of twenty thirteen. You're. Yeah, yeah. I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, you like that? Okay. So, uh, Adam number four, right? That's where we're at, number four? I'm losing count. Yeah, number four. Adam's number four. Something that's already been mentioned once, and that is from 2014, Boyhood. Number four. Overlap. Overlap. Yeah, it's got to be our number one of the of the site, right? It, it might be. It might be. I mean, t- Terry has alluded to it being possibly on his list, in case we need to remind viewers, uh-huh. listeners. They could be viewers. They could just be staring at their phone and watching like the time tick away on as as they listen to the podcast. Then then they would be viewers. Right. All right. But you sure. said there might be one that's on all four of our lists, so we could all just randomly have like Inside Lewin Davis at number twenty five or something. This is true. This is true. That would be awesome, by the way. <laughs> all of us have the same number twenty five and that is our number one. <laughs> all right, uh, Zach, number three. Okay, well, uh, looking at my top no, never mind. Uh, it's not true. Okay. Um <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say that. Well, I guess I can make this point. There are three directors on my top twenty-five list that have multiple films on them, and one of them is the director of my number three film, um, The Florida Project. I also put Tangerine in my top twenty-five of the decade, mm. um, uh, and that director is Sean Baker. And The Florida Project is uh, my favorite American movie of the decade. And um, I guess I would also maybe put like the Wolf of Wall Street and the Florida Project in the same like gift basket for aliens in the t- in this mythological time capsule because it also is a great portrait of America, specifically in the post twenty sixteen uh, United States. And uh, it's a hard movie to describe. You know, it's like a little girl who lives in a hotel in the outskirts of Disney World, and it's very much about uh, childhood and innocence and having adventures with your friends. But it also has a really dark, dark side to it. Uh, Bria Van Eight was my best supporting actress that year. She's amazing. Sean oh, Baker really? found her on Instagram. <laughs> I think that's come we up just a couple times <laughs> on the podcast. Why did, did I bring that up before? Uh, okay, I don't remember. Uh, yes. Three of an eight. 
awesome. And uh, the movie's awesome. And it was my number one of 2017. And like every other film on my list, it got unfairly overlooked by the Oscars. So screw the Oscars. I don't know why we watch anymore. Um, anyway, it's a great movie. I know, I know both of you agree. Yes. Yeah, I didn't quite make my top 25, but yeah, it's an awesome movie. I don't, yeah. Todd, you, you were big on the Florida Project Best Picture uh, bandwagon before people saw it and realized it was too, too avant-garde for the Oscars. The Florida yeah, I always hold out hope before the nominations come out. I thought the Florida Project was good, but I didn't think it was as great as you thought. I've got it currently at number 22 of number of 2017. Ooh. Yeah. Ouch. And I was Ouch, just looking bro. with uh, with what you were mentioning. I think That's I only my number have four of that year. I think I only have one repeat director in my top twenty-five. I have two. I think. Yeah. No. Yeah. Three. I have three. I only have one. Hmm. I think that. I think that means. And does that? Yeah. Does that director's name rhyme with shrink later? No. <laughs> Really? No. Because that was also one of my repeat directors. No, in my, in my top twenty-five, I only have one repeat director, and uh, it's actually uh, the the films are number eleven and twelve. So you'll wow. hear about it soon. Okay. All right. Shazil. Number three on my list is a movie that's already been mentioned. It is another Best Picture winner. It is 2013's 12 Years a Slave. Um, I repeat a lot of what, what Zach has already said. Again, this is a movie I rewatched, and yeah, I think it, it is the best description is it is the Schindler's List for for slavery. I mean, it, it, it's that movie that is going to be, it should hold that hold that banner and be that standard for, for that time in history. Um, the performances are are outstanding. Chiwetel Ejiofor was, I mean, yes, he was nominated, but man, the fact that he he was overlooked for winning anything is is a crime because he was just outstanding in this movie, and uh, and this this movie is uh, is the reason why this year Brad Pitt will be a multiple Oscar winner. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm we've already said it all. So I'm gonna I'll just leave it at that. 12 Years a Slave, it's a masterpiece. Uh, number three on my list. And I find it interesting that our, our like, go-to standard for slavery films was made by a Brit. I just think that's kind of funny, but... So 12 Years a Slave could displace Boyhood as our, our website number one. If... If, Ad, if if Adam has it in his top three. Well, and, but... Because we know what Todd thinks. But I, what, what, uh, what overrides everything in our, in our top ten is how many lists it appears on. So mm. it's, it's, pla- it's, it's how many lists and then placement. So a film that pops up on all four lists would override something that is like number one on three lists. Because, that, because it being on all four lists makes it more of a consensus. And this is why you do and this, it, because you understand. Yep. Because yep. Terry creates his own rules, just like I, he does on yeah. my power I create, I create my own <laughs> rules, and none of you have ever argued with them. So, You guys aren't going to argue with the top ten. It's, it's a good top ten. Okay, Todd, number three. 
Alright, my number three was the easiest inclusion on the list, because I had the previous two movies in the series on my list, and that's Before Midnight. Um, yeah, both Before Sunrise and Before Sunset were on my top ten of the decade, in the previous two decades, and, um... We follow Jesse and Celine once again. They are now married and on a vacation in Greece, having more confrontations about the past and moving on and living on. And I, I feel like Je uh, Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke have more to do in this movie than they have in the previous two. It's hard to say whether it's the best one. I could probably give you a different answer on every day, but it's definitely the most mature of all of them. And I, like, the movie is harder to deal with because it ha is a lot more emotional. It rips at your heart, but it also makes them just as charming as they were when we first met them in Vienna in 1995. And it's... It, it has a big heart, and Linklater is the only guy I could feel like that could make this kind of movie. And I don't know how they can make another one, necessarily. I didn't think they really could after Sunset, but I would be there in 2022 if they wanted to do it again. And they... they Wear that badge of pride that is the lowest grossing trilogy of all time. But why not make it four? <laughs> you know? Before midnight, my number awesome. three. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say what... So Zach recently watched these, and I'll tell him... I'll tell everybody what I told him when he texted me. Um, before midnight, it's very good, I, but I, uh, I didn't like the ending. I didn't like how it ended. Um, it is, it's like a borderline top ten movie of 2013 for me. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's still really, ending? it's still really, really good, but yeah, that, the ending of it, I just made me go, ugh, I didn't like, I didn't like how it ended. What, that they were trying to role play and be kids again? I don't know. No, honestly, I don't really fully remember what I didn't like about the ending. All I remember is that I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the That's ending, but answer. I didn't like it. That's all I Can't remember. in my position. The, the ending. Yeah. The ending. I didn't like. Like I felt like it was. I. I, I remember. I remember it was a cop out. I. I really do. But I don't remember why. That's ridiculous. As the as the one who's seen this film the most recent on the podcast, I think the ending works really well. Although I would say that the best one is the second one. But before midnight is a very good movie and. Uh, it's it was well worth my time. I, I rewatched those movies specifically for this podcast episode, even though none of them made my list. But I'm glad I watched them finally. Yeah, I tend to always like come back to Before Sunset being the best one. It, it is like a perfect like 77 minute movie, and like, there's not yeah. a single thing I would ever change. And it's so different and beautiful and everything. Yeah. And that ending is perfect. I, that's a, one of the great endings. I think maybe the greatest ending to a Link later movie can't argue with that all right adam number three on his list zach are you listening I'm because listening. number three on his list is from 2010 and it is blue valentine nice shit <laughs> <laughs> i would have done awful if i was predicting adam's list <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yeah. I, you know, his, his list is subtly moving more towards Zach movies than Todd movies. Are we taking note of this? I mean, he's got, you know... Well, I guess The Hunt is also a borderline Todd movie, but, like, that's impressive. <laughs> he also has, like, Social Network on his list. All right. Zach, number two. 
Okay, now we're getting serious. Frankly, the rest of the movies can you know now go we're screw off. Serious. Now we're getting serious. <laughs> go screw off. Go, go screw that, that does not sound like a Zach statement there. How's that Aquafina? It's delicious. Very intoxicating. Um, okay, well, my number, my number two and my number one, I, I go back and forth. They're the best two movies of the decade. Hard for me to pick. One of them belongs to my heart. One of them belongs to my brain. I'm going to uh, go with the one that uh, goes with my heart at number two, which maybe it shouldn't. Maybe it should be my number one, but it's the movie that affected me the most when I saw it, and that is Two Days, One Night. A movie that, you know, when I saw it, I saw it, like, val- around Valentine's Day 2015. I was fully prepared to, like, be all like, yeah, group, almost sideways group number one of 2014 uh, Boyhood. I would have been I would have been thrilled if that had been our first consensus pick maybe ever. But uh, the Dardens ruined it, and they made uh, their best movie and Marion Cotillard's best movie. And uh, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary movie. It's maybe the most powerful movie I've ever seen in the theater. And um, But Ardennes make great movies. I'm still holding out hope for young Ahmed, but I sort of doubt that anything will ever reach the, the emotional power that Two Days, One Night has for me. And I realize, you know what, I'm an outlier. Not everyone loved this movie the way that I did. Some people like other Dardenne movies more than this movie, but they've never made a bad movie, and this is the movie that, for whatever reason, affected me the most, so... There you have it. I love this movie, and maybe it's even my favorite movie of the decade. I don't know. It depends on the day. We have actually had two consensus number ones of a year. Of the decade? No, just of a year. Like, like all four oh. of us put it number one. Fargo and In the Bedroom? No. Close. <laughs> it, uh, Fargo, but we can never pick Fargo. But, yeah, Fargo and uh, Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, yeah. There's Some that. days I feel like Dances with Wolves deserve to win Best Picture, though. No, you don't. <laughs> Some days I do. <laughs> but I don't know if I really could honestly say that. All right. Uh, number two on my list. Uh, it's already been mentioned several times. That is Boyhood. Um, I This is a movie that... Um, I, I thought when I realized that the artist probably wasn't going to be number one, I thought it was going to be number one. And then I rewatched it, and a lot of what Todd said holds true, that as you rewatch it, it loses something. Um, it felt a little it felt a little gimmicky at times. It felt like it was trying to hit you over the head a little too much with, uh, with hey, hey, look, we actually shot this in this year. Hey, 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 look, look, it's 2002 right now, not, not 2014. And, uh, but um, but even, even with that... Um, taking a step back and, and recognizing what he did with this. I mean, this is, this is the crowning achievement of, uh, of filmmaking of the decade that he was able to, to take this of what, like a two or three week shoot once a year for 12 years and put it into a coherent storyline and movie and, um, and watch the, watch these kids grow up. Um, especially Mason. It, it's, it is just awe-inspiring what Linkletter was was able to accomplish with this, and it is for that alone. It deserves to be this high up on the list, and um, and seeing it for the first time, I, I still remember that when I saw it for the first time, and it was just mesmerizing of, of what he was able to accomplish with it. And even though it doesn't hold up as well as I had hoped, it still is a brilliant movie. 
And yeah. So yeah, crowning achievement of filmmaking of the decade comes in at number two, Boyhood. Okay, for the record, I obviously agree with you, but so you don't like de-aging and you don't like the actual person aging. So what the hell do you want them to do? No, I you want them I, to have a different actor every twelve no. every twelve segments. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. I I thought that was fine. That that's what makes it amazing. It's the it was just it felt like when he put it all together, like just some of the stylistic choices of of uh, of trying to show. Yes, we're in this year. We're not in this year. Um, it was a little, a little, uh, it felt a little too much. Like, it felt like, it felt like there, he was trying to overemphasize some of the pop culture references of, uh, of this is what defined this year. So I've got to put, you know, this Britney Spears song in there and I've got to put, you know, the shot of the Nintendo DS in there and I've got to make sure that we... We show the clip of uh, of Ethel the the landlady from uh, the funnier die clip with with Will Ferrell in there and I know but that that was just like second nature at the time it's like you were talking about the Friday song or something like oh, I know. that song was big for like a year and a half like of course that would be playing in the background of a scene if you were shooting at that in that year like and, I don't know like, and I, I you're being and, a little disingenuous and when I like. when I when I first saw when I first watched it I I loved that stuff but on rewatch it was like okay that it's it's a little much. I don't know. Maybe I've just gotten a little older and more but, cynical, but I, I still that's recognize not exactly it's... what I didn't like about it. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we agree on the basic, the basics, I guess. Yeah. See, I I like Todd's suggestion. Like, let's have this movie directed by Todd Salons or Todd Haynes, and like have a different actor for each year. <laughs> like, maybe we get Russell Crowe in there. Maybe we get Kate Blanchett, Gabrielle Sidibe. Like, let's just make Mason a Wait, different. Are person you saying each those year. three all play the same character? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like what Todd Salon yeah, would do, like, or, or yeah, Todd Paul, Haynes. Paul Rubens would play the, yeah. the part that was uh, was in the second one. Like uh, John Lovitz. Was that right? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> do you see John Lovitz appeared on SNL last night? He played uh, Dershowitz. The du- uh, yeah okay. in Hell. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. It was funny. Jealous. <laughs> All right, uh, Todd. Number two. Okay, my number two is a movie we've talked about on the podcast before, and that is Margaret. Oh my god. Directed by the Shit. great Kenneth Lonergan. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I could possibly say other than what we said before, but it's. Uh, I feel like now, if this movie was made, it probably would be a miniseries or something, and it probably would be really, really popular, because there are so many minor characters in this thing that are played by really famous people that could be expanded but the three-hour version that came out with the uh the blu-ray was was the rightful <laughs> version of this story and it makes a lot more sense and everything it, like feels like a complete masterpiece the gutted like 150 minute version that came out in the theaters that no one saw is not a rightful uh, representation of the vision of kenneth Lonergan. <laughs> this is an it's an amazing movie it's the most ambitious movie of the decade and I, I don't know. It is unforgettable and haunting and devastating and I don't it's the the, be, the one of the best female lead performances of the decade by Anna Paquin. It it I don't know. I know that none of you are going to have it close to your top 10 or top 25,000 of the decade, but it is awesome as my number 2. Okay, after everything I just said about Boyhood that you agreed with, 
this was the most ambitious movie of the decade? Oh, it is way more ambitious. It wasn't not, even not, ambitious. Not the it was movie the, that was, shot was in the filmed 2000s. over 12 years. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It was not made in this decade, Todd. <laughs> it came out in this decade. <laughs> should be disqualified. <laughs> now, okay, now, if there was another ambitious, more ambitious movie, it was probably The Tree of Life. That, I mean, that you, you've got you've got Boyhood, which took 12 years to film, and you've got uh, you've got Margaret, which took 12 years to get released. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a contender for my bottom five. Me too. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> But right, I will I, mean, I will agree with you that if it were released now, it would be a miniseries and probably a pretty successful one. I agree with that. Yeah, it would be super popular if it came out as a, as like a <laughs> six, seven hour miniseries. Because you have these characters played by like Mark Ruffalo and Matt Damon that are basically in one scene. And if you expand those to make them significant, it, it would be like sharp objects or something like that. It would be, be something really interesting to watch on HBO or Netflix or whatever. But it wasn't, so But it wasn't, it so it's a three-hour <laughs> awesome movie. <laughs> Not the 150-minute version like, you guys watched. I watched the expen- extend, you, ex- expanded, I mean, extended. You're, you're telling me that 30 minutes version. really made that much of a difference? Yeah, I mean, similar to Almost Famous, I guess. Those, those extra, like, 30, 40 minutes in Almost Famous make a lot of difference, too. So, so the... the uh, the extra 30, 40 minutes in the uh, director's cut of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are going to make it even better. Because he's releasing I mean, like a four... If it's even better, then yeah. He's well, releasing like a four-hour time... version on Netflix like within the well, next year. Once Upon a Time in America, it definitely made a difference. The same with 1900. Like, th- there's a lot of really good director's cuts of genius directors. That... Well, those are different stories, though. The studio... Well, like Margaret, the studio chopped those movies up. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Yeah, Margaret was chopped up. up like, over right. seven years, it ended up getting chopped up. And, like, he basically abandoned the project until the video came out of the three-hour version. That was his cut. All right. I don't know. It, it, we we've are, talked about are, this Todd. before. Yeah, yeah. This this More is power def- to you. I would say Margaret is definitely this decade's a history of violence, where Todd is going to okay. never never cease praising the movie, and Zach and I are never going to cease hating it. So that's okay. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be one every decade. Um. All right. Moving on to Adams number two is from 2014. And Zach, he disagrees with you on what the best Damien Chazelle movie is because number two is Whiplash. Uh, I thought that was going to be his number one. Yeah, I remember him praising that movie quite a bit. Yeah, Whiplash, Whiplash number awesome. two. It is awesome. It is awesome. It's a good good pick. All right, here we are, Zach. Number one. Okay, my number one of the of the decade. Uh, sort of a no brainer if you know me, and uh, it's a movie that when I saw it came out, and I pretty much realized there wasn't going to be a better movie. Well, I don't know. I guess I always hoped there would be a better movie, but there there isn't. And it is the 2011 Best uh, Foreign Film winner from Iran uh, by the greatest living director who emerged this decade, Oscar Farhadi, and that film is A Separation. Oscar Farhadi also had my number uh, 20 film of the decade, The Salesman, and my number 31 film, The Past. So it's fair to say that I think this guy is a genius. And uh, A Separation... I mean, it's a movie all about, uh, well, not just a divorcing couple, but also contemporary Iran and uh, 
parents and children and upper class and lower class and men and women and observers and non-observers. And it's about uh, uh, conflict when there is social difference. And it's a movie that is profound and uh, also beguiling because you wish these characters could understand each other. You wish they had more humanity and humility and would listen instead of talking. And uh, they never do. And they really never reach any, any um, conclusion or resolution, but maybe it's a metaphor for the world we live in, and uh, it's it's a great towering achievement, and um, it's uh, it's it, it will be a movie remembered many many decades from now. Yeah, and Terry agrees because he was assigned to watch it, and he also called it a masterpiece. Yep, it's in my top twenty-five. Good call. Yeah, yeah, it's my number four of twenty eleven. Awesome movie. All right, number one on my list. Uh, starting this exercise, I did not think at all this would be my number one. But as I rewatched the movies that were that were contending in my top ten, this movie really stood out as one that was so different and so um, unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And one that keeps on getting better and better with every rewatch because you unravel more and more of what is hidden inside the movie. And that is 2010's Inception. Um, I, it, Christopher Nolan, this, I mean, he's, he was on a roll at this point. And, I mean, this was the film he put out between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Um, and I had it really high ranked um, when it came out in 2010. I think it might have been even my number one. It was either this or Black Swan were my number one of that year. But in rewatching it, I I was just mesmerized even still. And knowing exactly what was happening, it was every twist and turn, it's still unlike anything I've ever seen. And, um, and I was still figuring out more and more things that I never noticed before. Um... It is the most unique movie, um, and uh, yet still a masterpiece of that of the decade. And so when I'm putting it together, and I, I wasn't as thrilled by Boyhood the second time around or this time around, I Inception just rose above the rest and had to be my number one. So yeah, my number one of the decade is Inception. I. It's a I, it's a solid three star movie. Oh gosh, <laughs> come on, three star movie. I watched it twice in theater, and the second time I, I was I I was I pretty much was done with it. I was like, okay, I I get it. It's fine. I lean more toward Terry. I have it my number 93 movie of the decade. It is a really great movie. Um, what I love about it is it's spoiler-free. Like, you can describe the end of the movie to someone, and it wouldn't make any That's sense. That's true. <laughs> I mean, you could show the last scene to someone, it wouldn't make any sense. Um, it is really well plotted. I, I rewatched it this summer. It, it, it is a pretty good movie. My one flaw in it is that when they get to, like, the fourth level of the dream, the dream inside a dream inside a dream inside a dream, when they get to, like, the snowy, like, hidden place... It feels like um, like a video game. It feels like Star that Star Wars uh, video game. Uh, I, I can't think of the name of it, but it doesn't feel like a movie. But was the whole thing a dream to begin with? 
I, I will defer to Todd on that question and also say that I don't really care. <laughs> See, the like whole it, thing like wasn't said. a dream. It was a dream when, I don't know, in the plane. I don't know. I don't know what you're... I, I don't know exactly what you want me to say, but yeah. Well, you 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 already said it. You 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 don't think it's a masterpiece. You think it's it's okay. You think it's good, but not great. But you know, Terry, my number one, and I know what Todd's number one is now. Our movies say something about the world. What does Inception say about anything? I I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. It's a good point. Doesn't necessarily say anything, but I mean, I guess it doesn't have to say anything. But I don't know. It it is it is the it, most the most original uh, movie of the decade. I know I can't. Agree and with and that. is and is the most the the best example of escapism of the decade. Like you watch this movie, you and you get completely just like wrapped into what's going on, and forget everything else that's going on around you. And see, I would have said that in 2010. I because I agree. Like in in the experience of it, it was a pretty awesome watch but kind of like the artist like i don't think it's aged particularly well and i feel like the structure has been replicated by other directors to be better effect overall i mean i like the movie way more than todd did but when was uh, the last time you watched it though this summer oh, okay. i watched it okay. this summer yeah yeah and, and and like i said i did not expect it to be anywhere near the top but then when i rewatched it just like within the last month i it was like rediscovering a masterpiece i i I will say the, it is the Hans Zimmer Leo movie. score is awesome. Yeah, the, Han, the score is awesome. What did you say, Todd? It's another Leo movie that's uh, an overlap. That's true. We really haven't had very many at all. That's another Marion Cotillard movie, too. Oh, there you go, yeah. yeah. I think the only overlap I had an actor was John Goodman. <laughs> I had Ethan Hawke. John Goodman... <laughs> Should have been the uh, the the Ken uh, uh, Watanabe character in uh, Inception. Oh, there you go. There you go. Mm. All right, Todd, number one. I also can't. I also can't understand anything Ken Watanabe says. That's another flaw. <laughs> Todd, number one. Uh, my number one is The Social Network. It was kind of obvious because it is like by far the best movie of the decade. There's nothing that really comes close to it. Even including all the ones you mentioned and the ones I mentioned, uh, the it's the best movie David Fincher has ever made, which is weird because it's really not at all a David Fincher movie. And it, it's interesting to think about like a movie about the founding of Facebook and what the founder and of Facebook and what Facebook look like now in terms of like their public image is really strange, but it also makes it a product of the time, but also super relevant. Aaron Sorkin's dialogue is just something that you can't touch with any actor and Jesse Eisenberg gives one of the best performances of the decade simply because he can handle it with like this like fervor and intensity that not a whole lot of actors can it's a movie about like pride and about friendship and greed and it's uh I don't know it's different and, and like, like it, it has these actors in, in like early roles like Rooney Mara and Andrew Garfield and even Dakota Johnson like the, these actors weren't weren't anything at the time, and like and David Fincher made them into what started into like a really uh, fruitful career for them, and it, it it was the most it was the best experience I had watching a movie. Uh, I I watched this at the midnight premiere, and it was it was intellectually stimulating, and it was 
it was I mean it was still cinematic at the same time. It, it's a it's a perfect movie. I've seen it probably a dozen times and it never it never loses an ounce of relatability or credibility or anything. It is a, it is definitely the number one movie of the decade. I heard somebody else talking about Social Network um, being on their list, and they said it's a Fincher movie, but when you describe it, you don't describe it as a Fincher movie, you describe it as a Sorkin movie. Like, that, that is its defining... It is more a, a Sorkin yeah. movie than a Fincher movie, which I, I thought was, was really interesting and completely on point. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think it's more of a Winklevi movie, but... That's well, it's me. true. It did. It did introduce us to uh, to Army Hammer as identical twins. <laughs> yeah, there's does he has another one of those guys that wasn't in anything until this movie. <clears throat> I have the Social Network as my number eighty four film of the decade. Um, it's a great movie, but kind of like some of the other movies we've talked about, uh, I think it had great power in twenty ten. It should have won Best Picture in twenty ten. It's insulting that it did not, and. Uh, it's 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 tragic. I think it's interesting that all three of our best picture winners were pre uh, twenty twelve, or all three of our number one films. I that is say. interesting. I had I had it as a uh, number four, I think, of twenty ten, and that puts it. Oh, where am I at here? That puts it. Oh, it's a, it's like top thirty, top thirty five, of the decade. And the score. The score is the best score of the decade, too. Like, if we were ever going to rank those, that would definitely be our number one by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. It, it is just so simple and so just different sounding than any other movie that would be about similar material. Also had the best trailer of any movie this decade. That That's a that's an interesting case. I, I can't disagree, but I don't know what I would put ahead of it. <laughs> that trailer, like, revolutionized trailers. I mean, that's when the, that's when everyone started doing the moody covers, you know, like of Radiohead's Creep. But like, of, and now we see it all the time is the moody covers. It gets really redundant. But right. like, the town came out that same year too, and the town was was an insane trailer. And same with Black Swan. That that was a great year for trailers. All right. You guys have any guesses on what uh, Adam's number one is? I'm gonna say we bought a zoo. <laughs> Todd, I ha- I honestly have no idea. All the movies I thought have been said. All right, well, you'll be happy with his number one because his number one is from twenty eleven, Drive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> number one of the decade from Adam. Nicholas Winding Refn, he loves those foreign directors. Yeah, yeah. As if that's as if that's some kind of point for Todd. Like, why why are we applauding? <laughs> because for Todd? it's one that he had in his top ten. <laughs> I liked it too. Just, I know. I know. And obviously, know. Adam liked it more than Todd did. But but just like just like I uh, I drew attention to when uh, Blue Valentine came up, which was in your top ten. I'm drawing attention to Drive being in his. Gosh, how many of Adam's movies were in our list? Adam, there was a lot of overlap. overlap. You said you said five and a half overall. Like that's a lot of overlap. So Drive, <laughs> Blue Valentine, Boyhood, Boyhood Social Network, Social Parasite, Network, The Parasite. Hunt. Well, The Hunt was in my top twenty-five. Right. Not so my top. four four oh, so of his four of his top ten were in our top ten. Okay, that's that's impressive. That's, that's impressive. And then then we had Twelve Years a Slave, which overlapped ours. Was that all the overlap? 
I think boyhood? it was. Wait. Right, well, yeah, we already said, said boyhood. boyhood. So five, five films? Five films uh, overlapped in the top under. ten. Yeah, I had the un- over-under at five and a half if Adam was included. You had two and, two and a half if he wasn't, so that was if what? That was just Boyhood and 12 Years a Slave. Slave. I think so. Yep. Wow, you guys you guys were good Nailed at handicapping that. this. Wow, good. You you are... You should be an odds maker in Vegas, search. <laughs> Zach. I know. All right, well, let's... You were uh, the big... Let's let's uh let's wrap this up. Let's go through our eleven to twenty five, and then we'll reveal our uh, our almost sideways top ten of the decade. So Zach, really quick, rattle off eleven to twenty five for us. Okay, eleven was just missing my list was Inside Lewin Davis, which I'm surprised made no one's top ten list. I feel like we loved that movie. Um, kind of surprising. Uh, number twelve is The Tree of Life. Number thirteen is Margin Call, a movie that I thought might make Todd's list. Number 14, Spotlight. Number 15, my highest-ranked Linklater film, Bernie. Number 16 is Let Me In. Number 17 is Victoria, which is the best example of a single-take film this decade. Don't believe what the Oscars say. Number 18 is Blue Ruin. Number 19 is Goodbye First Love. Number 20 is The Salesman. Number 21 is Boyhood. Number 22 is Uncut Gems. Number 23 is Call Me By Your Name. Number 24 is The Hunt. And number 25 is Tangerine. It's insulting that you have Bernie ahead of Boyhood. I'm just gonna say that. I was shocked that you did not have let me in on your li- on your top ten. Like that that was your number one of that year by far at the time. Yes, well, you know. Bernie is a great movie. Bernie is more entertaining to watch than Boyhood. Bernie is Boyhood a great movie. Goes but... too too long. Bernie at ninety five minutes is perfect. We don't have the extended uh, hour long that's unnecessary and boring. Alright. Okay. My 11 to 25, number 11 is Roma. Number 12 is Gravity. So there's my repeat director, Alfonso Cuaron. 13, Spotlight. Ah. 14, Shutter Island. Number 15, Selma. Number 16, The Martian. Number 17, Gone Girl. Number 18, Arrival. Number 19, Leave No Trace. Number 20, Brooklyn. Number 21, Life of Pi. Number 22, Silver Linings Playbook. Number 23, Marriage Story. Number 24, A Separation. And number 25, Detroit. Good call in Detroit. It's a good good pick. Mm. Alright, Todd, 11 to 25. Okay, my number 11 was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number 12, Get Out. Number 13, Silence. So there's an overlap. Uh, number 14, Her. Number 15, Parasite. So there's a three-person uh, three overlap. Uh, number 16, Toy Story 3. Like, surprise Adam didn't have that, honestly. Uh, number 17, Carol. Number 18, The House That Jack Built. Number 19, Terry's, like, what, third worst movie, uh, Holy Motors. Uh, number 20, I have Whiplash. Number 21, uh, A Prophet, which is, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's what, like, my number... Two, foreign film of the of the decade. Uh, number twenty two, American Honey. Number twenty three, Margin Call, which is an overlap. Number twenty four, The Tree of Life, and number twenty five, A Most Violent Year, which is the overlap. <laughs> uh, J C Chandor. Oh, there you go. Nice. All right, so Adams eleven to twenty five. We've got number eleven, The Wolf of Wall Street. Number twelve, Twelve Years a Slave. Number thirteen, Nightcrawler. Number 14, Leave No Trace. Number 15, The Florida Project. Number 16, Mad Max Fury Road. 
Number 17, Uncut Gems. Number 18, OJ Made in America. Number 19, Manchester by the Sea. Number 20, The Tree of Life. Number 21, Looper. 22, The Revenant. 23, A Quiet Place. Number 24, Ingrid Goes West. And 25, Inside Out. Good call. And he's got well, a lot. That last, that, those last five kind of kind of got out there a bit. <laughs> Ingrid Goes West. I mean, I love that movie. Ingrid but, Goes West is a really damn. good, not a top 25 movie, but it's a, it's I know, a fun that's movie. that's what I'm saying. So he's got. He also listed six honorable mentions here: Joker, Arrival, Spotlight, Her, Zero Dark Thirty, and Inception. Were his honorable mention. So. Well, there you go, Terry. You get a you get a bone thrown to you for an honorable mention top twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. So if if if, if Ingrid got, goes west had been released in twenty eighteen, that would be his number one movie of the year. Right, because he, he Revenge wasn't on there, was it? A Quiet Place was. Yeah, he must have oh. uh, redone his list. So he's got two horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> and Ingrid Goes West. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, though. All right, well, let's, uh, let, let's, let's keep going. And now we are revealing our top ten films of, uh, of the decade um, site-wide. So the almost sideways top ten of the 2010s. At number ten... The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> number nine, Blue Valentine. I thought you said it was based on the number of lists that it's yep, on. They've been on though they were on two. And it was high on mine, apparently. <laughs> yep, yep. That, apparently that makes <laughs> a difference. Makes no sense. <laughs> so yeah. No, there were so there were an overlap. Twenty one movies popped up on on multiple tw- top twenty five lists. And okay. no, none of them were on four. One of them was on four. Uh, anyways, so number ten, Wolf of Wall Street. Number nine, Blue Valentine. Uh, number eight, The Social Network. Number seven, Drive. Number six, the first movie to pop up on three lists, The Tree of Life. Number five, not, not on, not on yeah, my list. Not. That movie sucked. <laughs> yep, it's a great experience. Uh, number he doesn't five, like dinosaurs, but Atticus does. Yeah, number five, which um, might move up. I need to see this one again. Uncut Gems is number five. If I see it again, it might move up on my list a little bit. Yes, and pop into my top twenty-five. Uh, number four, Leave No Trace. Uh, number three, Parasite. Number two, 12 Years a Slave. And number one, the only movie to pop up on all four of our top 25s is Boyhood. Yeah, I forgot that was on it on Zach's list. Yep, it popped up down, down at the bottom. And it had the most, it was the highest ranked of all of them anyways. So I, I, I was wrong. I correct myself. Tw- 2019 with Uncut Gems and Parasite, two of the best movies of the decade. Yeah. Pr- pretty strong year. So the movies yeah, we had one from 2018. Yeah, the movie's just missing the list. Number 11 is Get Out. Number 12 is Florida Project. Number 13, Whiplash. Number 14, A Separation. And number 15, Brooklyn. Margaret was, did not make the list. Margaret is currently... <laughs> let me find it here. Uh, Margaret, I don't, I don't like it. Uh, Margaret is number 23. Impressive. 
what's the lowest ranked film? Ingrid Goes well, West. The lowest ranked film be, right? is are the three uh, top the three films that were number twenty five on lists that weren't on any other list. So that's Tangerine, oh. Detroit, and A Most Violent Year are tied for. Uh, I'd be 70th, okay 71st, made, and 72nd. Our, our top 10. <laughs> yeah, actually, Loki, I would be too. Yeah. I, I, th- those, all three of those movies are good movies. Yeah. Better than Ingrid Goes West, but that's okay. <laughs> it's not as bad as Margaret. Ingrid Goes West is right above it at number 69 because it only popped up on one list at 24. Anyways. All right. So... The lowest ranked movie that was on multiple lists is Margin Call. At uh, it, it was twenty first. Mm-hmm. All right, so there you go. That's our top ten. Let's wrap this up with our quote of the day. Quote of the decade, you could even say. Um, Todd, I'm going to you first. What's your quote All for right, us I, today? I have some quotes from The Wolf of Wall Street. I have uh, from Jordan <laughs> Belfort. Uh, 97% of people who quit work for the 3% of the people who didn't. So that applies to us because hard work beats talent every time. And that I feel like also applies to us. And, you know, you got to work until your bank account looks like a phone number. And eventually we're going to get there, right? Right? Right. (laughs) Uh... Zach, what do you got? (laughs) my my quote comes from one of the great oscar moments of this decade and that was when kobe bryant uh the late great kobe bryant won his oscar and he said upon winning his oscar i don't know if it's possible i mean as basketball players we're really supposed to shut up and dribble i'm glad we do a little bit more than that and so uh i kind of feel that way about this podcast i think uh it's been one of the great developments of this decade and for a long time, we just went to movies and shut up, and we didn't say anything. And uh, now we're doing more than that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Yeah. Mamba. So, so my quote, uh, I was going to go with, you know, find a good quote of the decade. But uh, as I was thinking about just the events of the day, um, one quote popped up uh, that uh, I'm going to go with instead. And it is a quote from the classic film, The Sandlot. And it comes, it comes from Babe Ruth, and I thought it was very, uh, it was very good for today. And that is, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And uh, and I, I think uh, it's very poignant for today that uh, the legend of Kobe Bryant is going to live on through all those that play, all those that do what they do because of what he was and what he stood for. So, uh, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid. So. There you go. Uh, awesome. Thanks so much for, for listening to our podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, review if you haven't done so already. Uh, find us on find us on iTunes. You can also find us on Spotify now. The Almost Sideways podcast is now on Spotify. Uh, we'll be coming back to you uh, soon with uh, an Oscar preview. Uh, getting ready for that in just a couple weeks. Um, until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.